doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's, there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. If they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll like religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person, I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking. It's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. to the show, my friends. I am your host, Eric Salagi. First of all, I hope that all of you have enjoyed your Christmas weekend. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday weekend. This episode will air the day after on the 26th and hopefully will be a welcome gift to those of my listeners who, much like myself, love the topic of Sasquatch. It is indeed a gift to myself to have the opportunity to have a conversation with this guest as I have admired their work within the topic for many years. This will indeed be a treat. If you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show, please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. The world wants to hear your experiences, so please get a hold of me and let's tell yours on a future episode of Uncomfortable. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Uncomfortable Podcast 65, and please remember, leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you can. That's the main way that you, the listener, can help get this show out in front of more people. And with more people listening, that means more people coming forward with their experiences. Also, for those of you who might be looking for a little bit of a change of pace, please head over to Uncomfortable Podcast on YouTube and hit subscribe and the notification bell. That way you will be made aware every time I upload a version of the podcast in video. You can start looking for that on a regular basis now. If you're interested in helping support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash uncomfortable podcast 770. Check out the three levels we have there and see if there's anything that appeals to you. Or if a standalone contribution is more to your liking, you can do that as well through Red Circle. The links for both will be in the show notes below. September 14th, 2024 is the date for Bigfoot and Brews and Spirits 2. Again, being held within the confines of Sister Lakes Brewing Company in Dwajak, Michigan. Um, we've already gotten Amy Boo from the Olympic project and project zoo book. She is going to be one of the speakers and on the spirit end of things, we will be having the archbishop, Christina rake, who will be a special speaker. 
Look for tickets and information coming up in the early part of January. I would imagine that by February 1st, we will have tickets on sale. Again, that is September 14th, 2024 for the Bigfoot and Brews and Spirits 2. As for tonight's guest, this gentleman's accomplishments in the field and appearances in shows, documentaries, and podcasts are literally too numerous to mention. So I'm going to let him do that. He is an accomplished artist. But what I think I admire most about this gentleman and what has placed him squarely on my wish list for interviews is his innate ability to tell wonderful stories and accounts. I suppose that is somewhat in part because of his heritage and the rich oral tradition that he comes from. So if you're ready, let's get into it. If you will, please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to tonight's guest, Thomas Seawood. Thomas, welcome to Uncomfortable. Gilda Kuzla, greetings. Thank you for having me and inviting me onto your podcast. And greetings, sir. Hello to all the listeners out there in 67 countries. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it, it's a bit unbelievable. It is. Uh, yeah. It is. It, it's kind of like a, a dream come true that I didn't really know I had the dream up until a couple of years ago. So I've uh, been very fortunate, oh, yeah. and the growth of this show has been uh, uh, amazing. So, um, as I said in the intro, uh, you've been on my radar for years. Uh, I've I've seen you uh, in in so many different things, whether it be a small little small little uh, segment or a you know, a 15 minute segment or uh, documentaries, you've just, you've been in this topic for so long. And, and the thing that gets me about listening to you is your ability to just draw people in with your stories. And it's done in such a matter of fact way that I don't know that there's anybody that could sit there in front of you and tell you, you were full of shit. You just can't do well, it. Well, they'd also get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I am a commercial fisherman, retired after 48 years, 58 years old, going on 59, been an Indian, North American First Nation, American Indian, whatever you want to call us nowadays. But I am a <laughs> Kwakwakiwak member of that tribe from Northern Vancouver Island, British Columbia. And I was raised as a commercial fisherman. We used to go out. When I was a kid and all through my life, we still do. We go out in the wintertime to shellfish dig in the middle of Timbuk flipping nowhere, Broughton Archipelago. You know, there's nothing out there but the odd, you know, homesteader and, you know, one or two Indian reservations that you can only access by boat or float plane. So when you're out yeah. there clam digging, some, a lot of times it was by myself, you know, you'd be digging away and you could hear the roar of the white gas lantern um, giving you your light all of a sudden you'd hear bang and then you'd hear a big rotten tree get pushed down near this lake uh oh they're here <laughs> and you know it's a sasquatch which we call chonakwa and it's just them letting you know that they're there so you know even though you'd be so scared you could put a piece of coal up your backside when you leave the beach with the 
handful of cockles, the favorite food of Sasquatch, a type of shellfish that when you break them, open them up, they look like a shrimp tail or a prawn tail inside, and they taste in between a prawn and an abalone. They're really good, real delicacy. Well, Sasquatch is like them. Well, you take an armload of those cockles and you walk up to the tree line, you know, it's low tide. It's, you know, one foot uh, zero tide, maybe a minus tide. So you're could be 100 and 200 yards from the tree line. Well, when you walk up with your little lantern and your flashlight, you're trying to hold on to, you get to the tree line, you throw the cockles in, and you know, you just say, Alakasla, go in peace, you know, and walk back down and clam dig. And hopefully the Sasquatches will come and take those cockles that you gifted them and leave you alone on the beach. And that's what being a coastal Indian is all about. We know that it's all about respect. We respect the Sasquatch, they will respect us in turn. So all my life, you know, like it's, I just, to me, Sasquatches are just another critter with a heartbeat, leave tracks, leave poop from time to time, get angry with us from time to time, like every other animal. I watched a good one on uh, social media today where this guy's sitting in his pickup truck after a hunt and the doe deer comes walking up and starts banging him with her hoofs. You know, to me, that just blew me away. But it just shows us that every animal can get angered with humans, as we know, yeah. and Sasquatch included. And that's where the respect comes from. So me, when I, you know, lived my life as a commercial fisherman, I was always in logging camps tied to their docks, ports, uh, Indian communities, even fish farms. And, you know, I, when I was at these places, especially the ports, when all those fishermen got together at the table with a bunch of beer, you know, I'd always ask that question. Hey, you're Haida, you're Shimshan, you're Hiltsuk from Bella Bella, you're Kittisu Heihe from Clem 2. That's where Les Stroud went. Right. Yeah. Named Clem 2 tweaked. And I'd ask him, what do you know about Chonoha or Sasquatch, Bigfoot? Right away, you'd see them put their beer down and well, I'll tell you a few stories about those big hairy buggers. And I'd hear all these stories and also get the native names, what their beliefs were. I'd ask them, do you, my tribe, the Kwakwaki Walk, we wear the masks and the fur regalia. And we come out in the big houses, the ceremonial big houses during a chief's potlatch. And we perform the Chunachwa, the wild woman of the woods, where it comes out and it rubs its eyes because it just woke up because that's what her ancestor experienced, a Sasquatch in the daytime. And then it yawns with its hands on the dance floor. Then it walks out and it starts going like this. What it's representing is that picture right there, Basket Lady. Some of the tribes call the Sasquatch Basket Lady because she has a basket on her back where she'll have her baby Sasquatch. But according to my family's legends and stories and my tribe, the basket is because the Sasquatch, Chonacha, will grab misbehaving children, yeah. rub spruce sap pitch from a tree in their eyes so they can't open them and they're blind. And she throws them in the basket, takes them up to her, up the mountain through the forest to her invisible home. And that's why we can't find Sasquatches. And that's where she boils and eats the misbehaving children. So when I was a young boy, behave yourself, Tommy. Otherwise, Chonacha <laughs> is going to come in with a big hairy arm. And then as a little boy, I'm walking through the town when I went down to the other end for candy at the store with uh, some friends that were older than me. And all of a sudden, I looked up and the sun was going down over Vancouver Island to the west of Alert Bay. And I'm like, oh, no, it's going to be dark. I'm misbehaving. I got to go past the graveyard where all the memorial totem poles are standing in that big Jonah 
puckered lips, outstretched arms, big breasts, fierce looking, sleepy eyes carved in all these poles. All I kept thinking is Jonah is going to come out and grab me and throw me in that basket because I'm misbehaving. And I passed that ancient boogeyman story on to my two children. Even years ago in the early 90s when I had a girlfriend who had two young boys, oh, I remember being out in the bush with them and, you know, one kid had peanut butter and jam going down his shirt. And I'm like, hey, don't eat like a slob. You use a napkin. You you know, don't get all that stuff on you like that. Chonach was seeing you not eating properly and she's going to come grab you. And that night when we were trying to go to sleep on my commercial fishboat, that little boy was crying away. And I could hear <laughs> my girlfriend, Kelvin, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Close the porthole. Chonach was big hairy arm going to come grab me because I had peanut butter and jelly on my shirt today. <laughs> laughing away. So that's what I was brought up with. And then when you go to the potlatches, you know, I still go to potlatches. We, you know, we haven't had very many because of that COVID, but uh, recently, but they're starting to ramp up again. And my father. And, and so is, Cal and so is COVID. It's just called the winter flu. <laughs> <laughs> Ramped up this time last year too. They, those people said. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you but, know, uh, I, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but. I, I want to go back to something that you said, uh, being on the beach, digging up the, uh, the, the, the clams and stuff. Um, as a, as a young gentleman, I'm sure you, at that point in time, it scared the hell out of you. Right. It, what, yeah, and, and I really, and I really, times it did. And I realize that it, it's part of your culture and, and you've heard about it since you were a child and, you know, warned about the, the, uh, the lady in the woods. But, <clears throat> excuse me, at some point, after having listened to you so many times tell stories and, and, and your, your demeanor when you talk about being in the presence of these things has, has a, a very, yes, you, 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 you sound like you act cautiously around them but you don't seem to have that, that fear. And what a lot of people in, you know, people who have these encounters and stuff like that, um, they have a, a very heavy sense of dread and, and, and a very, they're scared shitless, you know, which I imagine I would be too had, had I see one walk out in front of me. Um, where did, where did you get the, uh, where did the change happen? Where did, where did that turn, where was that taken where you started to look at this as something less, uh, less to be afraid of like a, a childhood nightmare and more of this is a real legitimate thing and we just need to honor and respect. Yes. The sightings I had with them out in the bush, like when I, <clears throat> when I went to bush and, uh, you know, I just didn't do like most people go to mountain equipment co-op and REI and Cabela's and buy some camo stuff and fancy bear bells and a pack pack and water bottle with a hose to my mouth. I go and get my commercial fish gear because it keeps me warm and dry on a commercial fish boat in rough weather. I grab that. I have a small pack. I don't bring any food other than coffee and cigarettes and my bush kit and a wool blanket and a six by or eight by eight tarp and some string because you know i don't use i never used a tent until probably early 2000s and 
still don't like them. But anyway, go to bush. We just went and lived. We lived like Sasquatches, walk and eat grab and roll over things, and dig and beaches at low tide, constantly eating through the day and, you know, pull your gun up, bang, shoot a bird or a deer or whatever. So living in bush to me, I just lived like a Sasquatch and I still do when I go out there. And while you're out there, you know, when I used to go out with my cousin when he was alive, um, we wouldn't have fire because we didn't want fire because on the bush, when the sun's going down, you go to sleep because you don't want to be sitting up talking and go have 20 peas before you go turn in to sleep because you're going to keep turning your flashlight on. Then all of a sudden, while well, you're a month and a half, two months in bush and a bear's coming in at night while you're sleeping and you really need that flashlight and the batteries are dead. Well, that's not too smart of a bushman. You're being stupid. So as soon as it's going to be dark, go to sleep. If you do wake up, you got a good flashlight in case you need it. And if you do wake up in the middle of the night, there's a reason why you should be awake. Something's coming near. Yeah. So shove those two wet fingers up your nose, get those hairs wet, just like a wolf and a bear and a coyote and a cougar. So you can smell better And then you. And all of a sudden, you'll hear click, 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 downwind from you. So you know darn well that you're the one being smelled. And that's when you, yo, weeks us, Junafa. Hello, Sasquatch, how you doing? I don't know who you are. What are you up to? And every now and then, you'd hear, and then they'd move off. Because you bingoed him. You woke up. He wasn't, he did something wrong. He made it snap or a smell to me. I woke up. Now I've all of a sudden turned my flashlight on. I'm not disrespectfully looking for his eyes back then. Now I am because I'm an investigator. I want to film him. But, you know, back then it was, you know, just go back to sleep. And next morning I go, did you wake up last night when I was talking to the big fella? Yeah, I heard you. I was just sitting there going, Oh, I hope that big fella just turns and goes away. I don't want to get up. Too cold. So that was Bush to us. And then, you know, being in that close interaction with him, because he didn't have fire because he didn't want to smell like smoke. You smell like smoke. You're never going to get an animal. If right. you're if they're downwind from you, they're going to smell you and take off, whether it be bird or ungulate or bear or whatever. And then when I saw the two from my commercial fishbowl with the spotlight, and uh, with my girlfriend and two crewmen, and I saw how big that male was, just boom, big shoulders I got, and just massive, and the legs and everything. Just patty, basically, what I saw without the big breasts, with on the male, anyway. And, you know, then, and there, right behind him is the trailer that I dragged up the beach in late 89, and the 10 by 10 edition I built on it. And now, the next year, I, I think it was the following year, the year, two years later, the commercial fishing industry collapsed, no fisheries. I had to make money, so I went to my abandoned native village. That's why my the trailer and addition was there because we were native watchmen for two years. And now I need to make money, but I know I can go to the abandoned native village when I should be fishing salmon in summer and there's none. Well, now I can do native cultural tours through the fallen totem poles, big house beam pillars and everything, and uh, make some serious money and uh, have my livelihood. But now I find myself living in that trailer all by myself. And I remember putting the fiberglass window covers down and two by fours against it, thinking about Big Harry Arm. I'm lying in my bed, and this is towards the end of my season in the uh, end of September. 
Indian summer. I'm out there and I'm reading a novel. I always remember what novel too. It was that Louis L'Amour cowboy guy. And I'm reading that book under candlelight. It's really getting interesting. And all of a sudden I hear up the channel uh, called Native Anchorage is Village Island I'm on and then Turner Island and at low tide they're joined because that channel dries up and it may be only, I guess, 80 yards wide, the narrowest part where it dries up. Yeah. Well, up that channel, I hear, and I'm like, that's not a wolf. That's not a bear. That's not humans. And then all of a sudden I hear over on Harbledown Island across the channel about three quarters of a mile away. Answering. And then this goes back and forth for a bit. And I'm listening to the deer eating plums in the two plum trees behind my trailer because it used to be a homestead back in the early 1900s. And all of a sudden I hear the one up native anchorage on Turner Island yell again, but a little closer and louder. And I'm like, ooh, that's no good. Then all of a sudden, what I thought was deer. Uh, answers back. I lift off that bed probably four feet. I grab my gun and I'm like, geez, what, what am I going to do? Big hairy arms are going to come to that, what used to be a window. It's a sheet of plywood now, two foot yeah. by two foot at my feet. And I'm just like, hearts pounding, legs is shaking, my throat's getting dry. I'm just like, you hear my heart just boom, 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 boom. I'm just scared. And all of a sudden that Sasquatches keep howling and then the one behind the trailer again. It just lifts your hair and everything. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do all by myself? I'm not going to shoot it unless I have to. And I'm like, OK, you got a man up here. Suck it up, buttercup. So I bang the side of that trailer by my bed. <laughs> hey, Judas Rock, can you hear me? Here. And all of a sudden, you hear this <laughs> as it disappears. And I never heard him howl again. Respect. And that's where I learned not to be terrified of them i'm still afraid of them don't get me wrong sure. it's a yeah. humbling scary bloody experience in your eyeball to eyeball the sasquatch at 10 feet and i've been there and uh even when you're looking at them with your spotting scope from your rifle or your sc bushnell scope and you can see that sasquatch sitting there in the bush watching you and all of a sudden it stands up and you see the tendons and wrinkles and everything and then if you're standing there like i was at my cabins my sea kayak camp on Vancouver Island that we now use as a Sasquatch investigation camp. And 2006, we got chased out by three or four of them. And uh, as I'm getting my two crewmen to a dinghy and I'm telling them, I didn't have to tell my sister, she was doing like Jesus Christ, trying to walk on water, <laughs> trying to get to the dinghy at high tide mark. <laughs> and uh, my dog was already in the dinghy, my big tough bush dog. And you know, you're no, it's Sasquatches. They just shook two trees that look like they come out of a swoop movie. They're just vibrating and shaking so fast. And then it pushed a boulder the size of a smart car down the bank and rolled into my camp by my cookhouse. Now I'm getting my crew out of here and then I'm like ready to leave. But I'm also doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a bushman. Sucker up, buttercup. Yeah. This is your turf. Look around. What is the perceived threat? And I look behind my cookhouse and not... 40, 50 feet from me, there's a big Sasquatch and a V of cedar trees looking at me. And when I eye lock him, he just goes like that to me. And I'm just like, 
okay, I'm out of here. Get in the dinghy and get the hell out of there and come back the next day. And I lit that place up with two buddies with shotguns and rifles. And I was drinking a gallon of water as we're driving up the logging road into my camp because we were there with my crew boat the night before. And uh, peeing all over the place. And this is my place. This is mine now, not your bay. You stay the hell out of my area where I pee. And ever since then, I've been at peace with the Sasquatches in my little piece of paradise, I call it, because we live in harmony and balance together as we should. So they're still there. They didn't they didn't bug out because of your display, but they no, no, at least been investigating. Them. Yeah, they got we have a year, year round homesteaders there. It's a swimming zone from Vancouver Island to the mainland across channel from us. And it's one of the narrowest gaps in that area without big tide rips and whirlpools and big standing waves when the tide and wind are going against each other. That's why my kayak camp's there. It's a wind sheet. It's a above the wind area and tide rips yeah. and uh, beautiful spot. And right across from me, there's the high peninsula mountain, you know, probably say 3,500 feet high, but it has a saddle right across from my camp. And that saddle, is easy to go from one side of the peninsula to the other side. And when you go to the other side of the saddle is Boogie Bay. It's all cockles and a lot of Sasquatch reports out of there. That's where we're going in January. We're going to go anchor out there at night when the low tide comes with flurs and parabolic listing devices. Hopefully we'll bingo a Sasquatch or more out on the beaches harvesting the cockles. Yeah. They'll come out when the waters just turns from low tide as it starts to flood. and that's when all the clams know the water is coming in. So they wiggle their way back up to the surface area. So they're easy to dig. But for a Sasquatch, they know that clam digger trick too. It's easy for them to find the cockles and clams because they're just beneath the, cell, the sands. That's why the crazy non-Indians, I watch them all the time on the west coast of Washington State. They're out there with these big tubes, pushing them into the sand, pulling on Good, almost having aneurysms there. It's so hard work, and they pull it yeah. up and dump it, and maybe there'll be a razor clam in there. But they're going down like four feet. Be a smart Indian. We felt tied to come in and be like a Sasquatch. Wait till those shellfish are right at the surface. You don't need to go through all that strenuous exercise to get your shellfish. I want to take you back to uh, your your description of of the the Sasquatch when you were so close. Um, First, I'd like to get I'd like to get more in depth as far as the um, the appearance of the face and everything. But you said something that was it was very much like Patty without the without the breasts. When I first saw the the photograph of Patty in a book when I was in grade school, and then shortly after that, I saw the uh, pretty much the full film footage, uh, on in search of, I think it was maybe 1977. So I'd have been, I'd have been 12. Um, there has never been a time that I've watched that video, whether it was when it was all real shaky or even now that it's been, uh, where they've been able to eliminate the shake and, and isolate it mm -hmm. and make it nice and crisp and clear to the the most recent version where Jeff Meldrum and uh, uh, there were two other guys, I forget their names off the top of my head, but um, one of them took the original, I think they took 
26 different video versions of that film and they fed it into an AI program where it was able to enhance and replace things that were missing. And it is like, it is such a clear, such a clear video of it now that you can actually, and this was one of the, the, the arguments that my son made with me is like, you never see her like foot bend or flex, but in the newest, after they ran it through the AI and everything, you can actually see the toes on the, on the right leg flip up as it's getting ready to take its next step. It, it, it is never, ever, not one time looked to me like somebody in a suit. It has always been very organic in the way that it moved. It didn't look clunky. It didn't look like somebody was struggling to, to try to move looking out through eye holes of a mask. There's never been anything about it that has struck me as being not genuine. Uh, I know there's, I know there's stories about Gimlin and Patterson and you know, they, that's what they were looking for. And I know the stuff about Hieronymus and, and all that stuff. Dead horse stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know that saying? You're beating a dead horse. Number one, respect. So respect. We all must respect our elders. Bob Gimlin's still alive. Absolutely. No one should be scrutinizing or criticizing anything to do with that Patty film. Absolutely. Roger Patterson's dead six feet under. We respect the, our ancestors that have passed on. So, And then humans that criticize the patty film are very disrespectful hairless bipedal creatures as far as i'm concerned because they haven't come to these people the indians mm -hmm. and showing us the picture pictures and the video that we've all seen like guys like us that are sasquatchologists and ask that indian elder living in the middle of timbuk flipping nowhere up some trail or the only way to get in was by a float plane or an ice road and with it English translators through their language asking them, is that a real Naga, Sitonga, Tonaha, Hawakwas, Book Books, whatever the name from that tribe is. And that old elder with no teeth looks up and goes, mm hmm, that's the real deal. See, yeah. that's what I mean. So everyone does all this. And then AI, AI is like DNA. There's going to be some capital D small R period before his name in videography and film and digitizing it's going to come forth 10 years from now and tell us that everything that was AI back in 2023 was bunk a bunch of bunk and BS. Right. Just like they did with Melba Ketchum and they all attacked her over her DNA stuff. And 10 years from now, whoever got says the DNA is this nowadays, they're going to get attacked in a decade from now. We're hairless bipedal creatures. We're the dumbest creature on this planet and we're nothing but poo tossing apes. So that's why I don't don't take it much. Basically, don't waste your time scrutinizing Patty. It's the Sasquatch. It's the real thing. Uh, so is uh, more than likely is uh, Independence Day, Independence Day female Sasquatch bending down, picking up her picking baby. Picking up her baby. And the one where the family uh, looks like they're uh, sleigh riding. And you see that Sasquatch is running up on the hill crest. Yeah. That looks really real because of the length of the arms and just their gait and everything the other one where the family's shooting and uh there's a helicopter flying yeah, around and all of a sudden you see the sasquatch run yeah. from left to right 
to me, everything about that one's the real deal. Uh, Freeman footage, to me, the hair is too synthetic. It's too, too, too much. Looks like it came from a costume shop because when you go to the bush back when I used to have hair <laughs> and you haven't showered for 10 days to six weeks, well, your hair, you can go like that and look at your hands just covered in grease, human oil. And that's what hikers, campers look like when they come out of the bush after a week because they haven't showered and everything. But then that's indicative of when we look at a orangutan in National Geographic, a chimpanzee, a lemur, a mountain gorilla. So why is it that the Sasqu the apes that we see in National Geographic, and just like us, when we live like an ape, we get oily hair. But then you see... Um, uh, what do you call it? The uh, Muppet of uh, what's his name from Alberta? I won't say his name <laughs> out of respect. Yes. But uh, his blackface and the other one that he did, the real Muppet, the, the one. And then you look at Freeman footage and you look at a few others, really synthetically unoily hair. So what I teach people about investigating Sasquatch is number one, I teach you how to get a close encounter of the hairy kind that's what i want you to do so we can get reclusive proof of sasquatch so i'm teaching people all of this through sasquatchisland.com definitely check out the website we just revamped it this week my wife's been busting her butt out there and uh sasquatch island on facebook people go tom write a book i have it's all the posts that i put in sasquatch island on facebook go read them <laughs> and if you really want to be entertained Go take a bathroom break, grab yourself a beverage, sit down and go to YouTube, Sasquatch Island. And I'm going to bring you through British Columbia's coast as a commercial fisherman and tell you places where Sasquatch's counters took place. You're going to see where the two Sasquatchers were swimming just north of Buttedale on British Columbia's coast that John Green documented in his Sasquatch book back in the 70s. So I'm this, you know, you'll read it in the website. I was actually doing my bio today puffing air up my back end and making my head bigger and my ego inflamed. But that's what a bio is when you write it yourself. But anyway, what it was, was just to te tell people who and what Tom Seawood is. Why does he have this experience and knowledge? Well, number one, you know, like you said earlier, I don't stammer, stutter, or go, ah, when I talk, I can narrate. Well, that's not just by picking up a book or watching a YouTube channel. That's from 1989 being placed in my abandoned native village on village island mamalela kula village of last potlatch to be the native guardian watchman well all these people were coming in sea kayaks and yachts and their tender boats and sailboat tenders and they were asking me what's that and i'm like big house remains gooksy we call it oh what does this totem pole mean we don't call them totem poles that's a memorial pole emily carr painted it who are the people that lived here? Is aren't isn't this Mamalela Kula village last potlatch? And then all of a sudden evolved to be. No, there has never been a village known as Mamalela Kula village of last potlatch, nor would there ever be. Mamalela Kula comes from some pompous government official back in a colonial age who didn't take the time to spell or pronounce Mamalela, our tribal name. And as far as village of last potlatch. Sit down and let me share with you in a stream of conscious narrative, because I took some writing lessons, how we overcame the persecution, the prosecution, so that as a tribe of Native people in North America, that Indians call Turtle Island, 
which Tom C would call Sasquatch Island because we all have stories from every tribe and everyone who lives in every state and province and territory about the large hair covered bipedal creatures we share our homelands with, whether it be indigenous for 10,000 years plus or the newcomers from 500 years ago to present and beyond. So I learned how to speak by doing those walking tours to that abandoned native village. Uh, I remember it was, you know, people giving me input, Tom, don't smoke your cigarettes when you're standing there talking to my <laughs> guest. Tom, don't flick your cigarette butts. We brought you a coffee can with a lid. Tom, don't use the F-bomb when you talk because you're <laughs> my guests. And that was Wes Germer. Yeah. <laughs> he told yeah. me his, his guests are pretty PO'd that I was F-bombing all over. But I'm a bushman. I'm rough and rugged around my edges. And that's why when you go to my website that we've revamped, you'll find that just reading it for the probably hour it's going to take you to go through and watch the videos and look at my art, click the pictures of the bowls, and you'll see them spin on a video on a pedestal and me narrating what that design and crest is all about. So that's where I learned to speak. And that's what my job and role is in Sasquatchology, the Sasquatch industry, is to pass on all of my experiences, knowledge, so that you can get out there and get that conclusive proof. And we thank you for that. Um, it, it, just touching, uh, for a minute on your art, uh, I'm, I'm somewhat of an artist myself. Uh, I have been the majority of my life since my mid early teens and, um, I'm, I'm struck by your style. It, it, it is, uh, it, there's a modern flair to it yet. It is very indicative of your heritage and, uh, just some beautiful stuff. You're, uh, I, I wanted to talk to you after, after the uh, after the episode after we're done recording because I do want to pick up uh, a couple of items from you. Um, very very nice stuff. Uh, I need something of yours back here in the studio on my shelves. Thanks. So, um, I want to touch on a couple of things that I've heard you talk about in in other, whether it be uh, a documentary or a different podcasts or whatever. Um, at your at the uh, at the fish house, you you said something that always kind of stuck with me, and it was about garlic coming up missing. And I think it was on the outside of your 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 the kitchen house. Mm -hmm. We and, had a yeah. Go ahead if you would tell that story because I have something that is is pretty interesting about one of the episodes I did previously. So. Pacific Northwest coastal area, we have three indigenous, I guess you could say garlics, types of garlic or garlic, but different strains of them. Um, and, uh, you know, so garlic is known to have medicinal properties. And so Sasquatch is known to the Omaha tribe that I've spent a lot of time with, known as Sitonga, keepers of the medicine is what translates the name of Sasquatch to them in Omaha, Nebraska, or Basin, Nebraska area on the reserve. But we know that the shamans would disappear for months, sometimes years at a time, and sometimes never return from the Indian villages all through Sasquatch Island, North America. Well, they were out there interacting with the Sasquatches, learning the medicinal plants and remedies. Garlic would have been one of them. And I you know, I did a little bit of studying, especially when I went to Omaha and Ohio, that there's garlics out there too. I just didn't find any while I was there. I wanted to. But anyway, the Sasquatches, 
on uh, Compton Island, it's called. It's a 250-acre Indian Reserve Island of ours. And in, I've used it since 89 onwards for sea kayak camps and so forth. But in 2012, I was hired by my chief and council to go there for the tribe and clear the bushes. And we lived in basically uh, under a tarp for that entire summer of 2012, I believe it was. And then 2013 in the spring, in Vancouver Island, we built five cabins prefab, uh, beautiful cabins. You'll see a picture of one with the big, what you said, the fish house. It's uh, mm -hmm. actually an orca uh, yeah, killer whale yeah, yeah. design I painted on it. You'll see it in the website, sasquatchisland.com. But we built, we're putting those five cabins up, and they were all up. And the carpenter, a big non-native guy, was helping us from time to time. But the three of us native tribe members, we were living out there, and at that time, it was just the three of us on the island, and I guess it was around the end of September, and I'm telling the crew, look, we're sitting here until whenever this carpenter ever gets back running on Indian time, and he's not even an Indian, to finish these, button up these cabins so we can shut down for the winter. But anyway, I said, I've noticed Sasquatches, the Tonochas come in. There's places when it's northwest downwind from us where they're observing us. There's places here in the southeast where they're downwind from us up in the bluffs over here above our cooking area we had three big spruce trees that we built a bench had our propane cooker there and all our spices salt and pepper and that and a tarp over top and a lockbox and uh, we were noticing that apples were going missing from the lockbox garlic was going missing and i'm giving my two crewmen who aren't two you know cousins of mine but you know they're forgetful and i'd be because I'm Bush boss, I'd be barking at him. Leave that goddamn garlic out. The mice keep getting them. <laughs> and then John is like, no, I watched the mouse. It was eating all the crumbs that went up to the garlic. And it smelled it. And it turned and it ran away. They don't like eating garlic, Tom. Something else was taking the garlic. And that's when I'm like, hmm. I bet you that sons of bitches are calling in here. And I started looking behind the cookhouse area. And you see through the bushes, like tunnels. Those Sasquatches are on their hands and knees or a Sasquatch, and they're pilfering my apples and my garlic. So we put a <laughs> garlic clove under a clear glass upside down on the cook table. And between the cabins, we put a wood stove and a picnic table, and we screwed windows with frames against the edges of both cookhouses to break the wind. So we could sit outside and smoke cigarettes. We are opening a tourist operation. We didn't want to have smoke smell in our cabin, so we play cards out there, drink pop, smoke cigarettes with the wood stove burning, keeping us warm between the cabins and under the pitched roofs or the overhanging roofs. And uh, John, we left the garlic and we all sat down. It wasn't half an hour. And John's like, hey, I'm going to grab a Pepsi. Anyone else want one? And I'm like, yeah, grab me a Pepsi. And he comes running back. The garlic's gone from under the cup. We knew he couldn't have done it. That's, that's how quick he was. So we yeah. ran over and sure enough, I went and stupidly grabbed that cup. And yeah, there's no garlic under it, even though he could see through it. I should have done like they do on TV and put it in a Ziploc bag and brought it to the yeah. police and alert Bay and got them <laughs> fingerprinted. Finger would have been neat to see a big thumbprint <laughs> or whatever, but we didn't. But then we knew it was the Sasquatches that were doing it. And then eventually we would see them. But yeah, garlic, I've tried it gifting at my 
Sasquatch investigation camp away from there on Vancouver Island. And that clan, they're not interested in garlic, but they sure like frosted flakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wanted to, I wanted to tell you, um, one of my earlier episodes, I talked to a gentleman who was in, uh, you would, you would consider it to be lower, uh, lower and kind of Southeast Michigan. Um, and he had, uh, he was living on a piece of property that his parents had owned for, for several years. He took it over and he was convinced that he had anywhere from two to four on that property that were pretty regular as far as, uh, making the rounds through that, through that property. And he lived very, very near a, uh, kind of a, a Y in the river that went there. And, uh, during the, the spring or summer months, I don't remember, he, he went out and he would um, take his lawn tractor and he would mow down all the tall grass uh, in, this, in this area. And there was a patch of wild garlic that would grow. And when he drove over it, he said, you know, for the next couple of days, you could smell the, the garlic from, from cutting it with the, the mower. And he said every year, every time he did that, it sounded like he maybe only mowed it once or twice a, a season. Um, in that area, all of that garlic that had been cut had been gathered up and taken away. And oh yeah, that's them. Yeah. Um, he also was the, the first person, you know, like, so many times you hear about the the trackways being almost in a straight line. Um, whether like when we walk, we walk kind of uh, if you were to lay a two by four, we would walk on either side of the two by four where they seem to walk straight in one foot straight in front of the other. And uh, it was it was he who said, because I asked him if he ever saw any um, juveniles or or babies um, because he was convinced that he had, you know, a family, a family unit. And he said, not until they got, you know, to what you would probably imagine to be a teenager. And I said, what do you think that is? I mean, do they just keep them that close to the vest? Do they hide them? You know, or what's he's like, no, they're in the trees. And I was like, really? And he said, that's why I think that's why they're, their footsteps are always in a straight line. He said muscle memory would dictate if you're walking on branches and basically doing a tightrope walk across branches as a juvenile. And you did that for several years, that muscle memory, when you did eventually come down to the ground and sp spend more time there, that your, your way of walking would be similar and it would be one foot in front of the other rather than kind of side by side. And I was, I was kind of floored by that because I didn't, I mean, this guy actually put a lot of thought behind the idea of why those, why the, the prints would be that way. And I'm curious, you know, throughout your years of being in the field and investigating and your experiences that you've had, have you run into them being a boreal up in the tree? I always tell people, look up because uh, we have numerous reports in the, 
British Columbia coast region of them going up into the trees. Not so much in most areas where humans are because that's all regen, second growth, or even third growth pecker poles, you know. So thousand pound Sasquatch ain't gonna go scurry up a hemlock tree that big in diameter. Yeah. But when you get into old growth where you know I spent years, you know, up in the alpines and everything, that's where you get bigger trees. And that's, you know, my buddy and I, um, he has some good substantial trees in uh, one of uh, the areas where he lived on Vancouver Island. And he tells me that, you know, you could hear them sliding down or shimmying up when they're going up those trees that, you know, wider than two men, three men almost. So, yeah, look up, definitely. But, you know, as far as the foot tracks go and everything, um, you know, tweet me. I'm like, hey, maybe someone's going to have to, because we do videography. We're producing a documentary and uh, have been for quite a few years, but we'll get it done. But anyway, I'm going to have to, when it snows here in Pacific Northwest, I'm going to have to get Peggy to film my walking gate, which just looks like the Sasquatch tracks I see in a family of four up at the head of an inlet in the middle of Timbuk nowhere, Knight's Inlet. No people up there other than a logging camp on the other side of the river, and they weren't where I was with my uncle. And we saw the tracks, and they were just human ones side by side. And the juvenile one, you know, was, you know, sort of like a typical toddler, teenager, wad, waddling. And uh, the teenager one, you know, a loop, you see at one point it went over and picked some leaves off a tree, and it came back to its side of its father and kept going. But then uh, filming me when I hunt, I do that like a Sasquatch, one foot, two by four, what you said. Because the reason why what you're doing is you're rolling the ball of your foot down to your toes. That way you don't make that crack, your smooth gait. And takes a long time to practice, you know, bush rolling, we call it, and bush dancing. But, you know, that's how you walk when you're out there with your gun, looking around, you're rolling your feet. You're not looking at your feet. You look up where the next dozen steps you're going to go and know where you got to lift it high over a fallen tree or something you know it's five inches in diameter but what i track is i track the ones other investigators don't even have a flipping clue about that's the rock log hopping tree swinging bugger not leaving me any tracks and right behind my cabin when i go in there and track you'll see the where they've stepped on the rocks with moss and the logs and they deliberately are making it so there's no trackways. Every now and then there's a track where they can't get away with it. It's duff in the forest duff. But I can look at rocks and logs and see the moss still springing back, you know, four, five, six hours after that Sasquatch went through. And I've noticed that with Sasquatches when I go in to investigate. In someone says, oh, I saw a Sasquatch. It was over here and it walked into the bush right there into the forest so as a tracker i go in and where it was walking along the edge of the forest and you see very very hard to see depressions odd one here and there but you'll notice on the rocks and the logs where they're tr doing that like a rock hopper penguin concealing their tracks you can see that and then you go into the bush and for the first 40 to 60 yards very hard to find any evidence of tracks then all of a sudden just like neon ping 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 he's oh look there's three sasquatches were in this clan group that they saw two of there was actually three there was another one here and because once they know that they're not probably going to have that 
perceived threat come and track them, now they sort of relax. Now they just put their feet in footfalls. And then they'll see that it's not always that two-by-four stepping. The two-by-four stepping, I find, is indicative of, uh, my area only, running Sasquatches or ones that are, you know, just uh, trying to be a little bit stealthy to not leave too much trackway. And, you know, I've even seen grizzly bears, you know, walk down a log, walk into the grass five feet high, and then all of a sudden look over his shoulder and backtrack, putting his paws in the same depressions, backs his big fat ass on top of that tree he just jumped off, walks down the tree, gingerly steps off to the side and sits there in the bushes waiting for me because he could smell me. No Perceived shit. threat. I'm just going to backtrack, and when that perceived threat comes down this log or by the end of that log in the grass, I'm going to pop out like a grizzly bear does and tear him up and do the bush code, eat him, and poop him out for the next couple of days. And every other critter will poop him out as well because he's a perceived threat. That's the bush code. But here I witnessed the grizzly bear being pretty playing bush chess with me and doing a queen move. That was amazing. And I'm sitting there going, Oh, I could just pop your head like a melon right now, but you know, it's a good day for you not to die. You deserve to live. Adios, you, you imp he impressed you. I'm going back. <laughs> he impressed you. You know, it's interesting yeah. the the, the um, what you were talking about as far as them walking on the sides of their foots and 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 you know, in that that interim period where they think there may be a perceived threat before they relax and and go back to a normal walking. Uh, you're not the first person I've heard talk about that. And I don't know if you're familiar with Robert Kreider out of New Mexico. Um, he was actually a, a, the lead speaker I had at Bigfoot and Brews this past September. And he and I had a really good conversation about it. And he is um, he's become very accustomed to tracking them because he said there will be times where they will walk on the sides of their foot or they'll walk on the insides of their foot or they will walk on all fours and they will use the side of their hands where you're just getting the side print of your hands to help stabilize them as they're, as they're moving through uh, low, low growing growth. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting that you, you're saying is, is the same thing that he's coming up with that, you know, yeah, you will come across these tracks and they will be full on normal steps, but for whatever reason, there are times, and it may be because there may, they may feel that there's a perceived threat that they are altering the way that they are leaving an impression in the, in the ground. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing is the Sasquatch clan, like you said earlier, you know, you don't see the infants, you know, is it because they're holding them or riding on their back, you know, things like that. Yeah, exactly why you don't see them because the Sasquatches, I believe, are just another form of human. That's why the DNA keeps coming up contaminated by human chromosomes, has looks like DNA of human in it, and yada, yada, yada. It's human. It's just bigger, hairier, and evolved with nocturnal vision and still retains its ability to scent gland and gag you with its uh, BO sacs. So to me, looking at Sasquatch as the superior human, I don't look at them in, in an inferior way like 99.9% .9 of the people do. They're like, oh, do you think Patty is an ape? Or do you think she has some intelligence? Do you think she has language? Hell, they got language, they got culture, they got religion to a certain degree, spirituality, and they have laws, very strict laws, which I learned from the Omaha and other Indian tribes. And they taught me some of these 
Indian, North American Indians and Canadian First Nations who don't want to get in front of TVs and, you know, don't even want to help out identifying or Sasquatch with the non-Indians. But with me, because I have that quasi Sasquatch celebrity-ness now, oh, gee, I'd talk to you, Tom. Here, I'm going to teach you something about Naga, the Sasquatch in Northwest Territory. And what I'm finding from the Northwest Territories to Omaha Indian Reserve to other states and provinces in Western Canada and is the Sasquatch's unit, clan unit, functions like an atom. In the nucleus are your juvenile, your mothers with the young young babies, the sick, the young, the elderly, and outside of them are the scouts. And outside of the scouts are your harvesters and hunters. And that whole unit, as they look at a knoll during the daytime, humans at the night is a Sasquatch. So in the nighttime, they're going to go up a knoll where they can sleep on top of the knoll. Around the knoll are your scouts beneath. And we all know that sound is heard better by going uphill than being on top of a hill yelling down into the field. It's the guys in the field don't even have to yell. They're just say, hey, how are you doing up there, Tom? I can hear them because that yeah. wave sound travels. But for me, I have to yell at them in the field hey, and so forth. Uh, let's pick up my cell phone and text them. But anyway, the Sasquatchers are on those knolls. And if all of a sudden a hunter or a scout down below the knoll outside doing their business of scouting or harvesting hunting. Tree smack, mimic of a raven or an owl or a coyote, frog even. And all of a sudden, the Morse code goes up the hill, everyone's awake, and all of a sudden, the warning, get the hell out of there. Well, just like Morse code, they probably got told to go north, south, east, or west, or one of the compass directions in betweens, because a knoll gives them 360 degree hearing, 360 degree sight, 360 degree smell, but 360 degree escape route, get away from the perceived threat, more than likely a human. Yeah. So, because if it's a hunter down below, and or a scout, and they see pigs or deer or elk, are those threats? No, that's food. They're going to probably capitalize on that through the mimicking and Morse code that we don't know about. And then because I would learn from the Omaha uh, person I work with, tribe member, they're up in the trees scouting uh, once and they can hand gesture, body posture to each other, communicating around that where that unit that they're protecting is. And then the other thing with those uh, Sasquatches, once they move like that, atom nucleus with the electrons and protons they move in that and that's a military strategic type of maneuvering and that's why your buddy who's a tracker you know he's got to look at the sasquatches in that level once when we go out one of the places we investigate well we were in a minivan in the back seat and we're all hunched down like that and we drove up the road and turned around drove back out Sasquatches that were scouts looking, all they saw was a female sitting in the front of the minivan. Couldn't see through the dark windows in the back. But the minivan goes to the end of the road, turns around, comes back now. They see the female in there. And as it goes around the corner, and it's high, high berms on either side, we opened the door and bailed out. Van minivan kept going. We could see it go way down the road and disappear. And we sat there quietly for 20 minutes. 
And then we spider crawling, crawling as best we could and as quiet as we could. And we started doing our thing. And then after three hours of doing our investigating, we bingo to Sasquatch where we got to see the back of it. He's sitting there doing his job scouting. And as we got to move in closer, what do you call it? Buddy's uh, water bottle canteen fell and hit a log. and took. That's all it took. Thing just turned his whole body, looked and and then just bang, 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 bouncing like the Russian Yeti down the hill, disappeared into the hardwood. You know, so you can bingo a Sasquatch. You got to play bush chess with them. And that's where you're using fingers up your nose the better you're smelling. If you don't want to lick it, don't keep repeating the same fingers because you put it up your nose. Use water. You know, take a little bit of water out and shove it up there. Trust me, it works like a hot dam. That's why grizzly bears always lick their nose trying to identify what that smell is. And then, you know, well, most animals, most Island, animals you know? do. Most yeah. animals do that. You, you, you know, my dog does that. Oh, yeah. You, you yeah. know, he's licking his nose, getting it wet, and you can see him, you know, when I'm cooking something yeah. in the kitchen or, or whatever outside. Um, well, you I know why dogs look their, you know, why dogs lick their testicles, eh? Because they can. Yeah, lucky buggers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, I've heard you refer to these uh, these as feral humans, and and I think it's feral safe humans, to say yeah, that because I, I was a, I was a feral her, human twice. I had uh, uh, IRS Canada hundred and seventy something thousand dollar bill sent to me in the late eighties, and. Uh, girlfriend I caught in the driveway and my buddy best friend's vehicle bumping uglies and you know the whole world went sideways and I was uh square peg trying to fit in a round hole and I just said hell with this I'm getting away from these stupid humans I can't stand them I hate them right now so I went into the bush and you know did my work out there you know watch logging camps in the winter time ecotourism during when I wasn't commercial fishing see being on a commercial fish boat to me that's bush as well and when I disappeared to bush I was fishing all over the place and living out in the bush and doing my thing doing uh, shake and shingle blocks for the cedar shingle and shake roof uh, industry you go out and harvest it with chainsaws up the side hills and fly it out with helicopters and big slings onto barges but you live out there you know and doing all that you know in the bush I just loved and then I came out and then uh because I met a girl and she became the mother of my two children. And we had a white picket fence and we had a $200,000 aluminum tour boat, uh, $67,000 sea kayak fleet. Uh, we had money stacked up in stacks in the two banks in Campbell River on Vancouver Island. I had $30,000 credit in each one of my credit cards. I'd rack them up $30,000 and pay them down by the end of the month because we were making that much money. I was high on the hog. And when I went to Mexico and I got back from Mexico after two weeks, there was a fax on the floor that said, you've been sued, found liable for defamation of character and slander. And you court has awarded uh, people that sued you, two kayak companies, $260,000. I'm just like, what? What do you mean? I just got two sued for 260,000. So I fought it and they dropped the charges because I wasn't legally properly informed about this court case. Actually, they failed to not to tell me. So they threw the charges away. Those two buggers went downstairs, refiled in the court that day, took me back to court a few months later, and I got found liable for $600,000 and lost everything. 
and moved to Queen Charlotte Islands, Haidegwai, with my mother and my children, my common-law wife at the time. And eight months later, she pointed to the door and told this Indian to get the beep out. Yeah. We Indians fear two things. Police take our parents and social workers take our children. I had been just thrown out of a house by a non-Indian social worker and my two Indian children, because they have status cards, um, I would never see live under my roof again. And that came true. They're, you know, 19 and 22, and they've never lived under my roof after their mother pushed them out. They'd come visit once in a while. That was it. So when I that happened to me in uh, March 27th, 2008, when I returned to Vancouver Island with my life's possessions in my vehicle and my rifles and shotguns and fishing gear and bush kit, all my possessions in my Jeep Cherokee, I pulled into Campbell River and I was rogue Sasquatch. I was wanting to go and do terrible things to those two guys that just ruined me. And I would have got away with it too, because I'm a good Bushman. And, but anyway, I'll say no more. I'll plead the fifth. But anyway, <laughs> I didn't do anything because I saw a sign in Camp River that said on a hotel, success is not defined at how high you reach. It's how high you bounce when you've hit rock bottom. So I hit rock bottom on that March 27th, 2008, I've been bouncing ever since. And those two gentlemen got to continue their lives. But anyway, I went into the bush again. A couple of days later, after I put everything in storage, bought my half a dozen cartons of cigarettes and a bunch of coffee cans full of coffee grounds, I went back into the bush. But my millionaire friend took me in, billionaire friend took me in at his resort. And I became his maintenance worker living out in my traditional territories in bush. And I snapped. I went rogue, rogue Sasquatch again, and like I did decade and a half before. And I just went into bush and I lived. And when you're out there, you have a whole different mindset. You look at humans like that painting right there of that Sasquatch pulling the branch down. You look at humans. You study them. Smell them. Let the branch up, turn, and walk away. Because you don't want anything to do with those hairless, bipedal, filthy, concrete-contaminated humans. I know what it's like how Sasquatches think. I've got the same mindset as them when I get into the bush and snap and go rogue. Right now, I'm living in Kent, Washington with Peggy because of COVID. Uh, I got rid of my rental place in Vancouver Island. Uh, older now, she taught me a valuable lesson in life. Learn to make money while you sleep. And that's why the website, she put such a hard effort into it this last week and me doing all the blueprinting and all the pictures and everything because people can order. And then next morning I read the email, make them their art piece, send it to them. So make money while you sleep. Plus sure. I'm getting older. I'm writing my book now and books and uh, doing more podcasts and everything. It's my turn to give back and my turn to do what I just wrote called the chance encounters and investigating of Sasquatch guidelines. They're just recommendations and it'll, I have it available. I'm sending it out to people, but um, also looking at uh, that along with a bunch of other stuff I wrote, almost 140 pages now was a book that I'm trying to get published in the new year to be able to make money while you sleep, advertise it on my website and social media and sell it. And it's going to be a book you can read and go, holy smokes, all these other Sasquatch books I got on a bookshelf, all bunk job, bunk and BS, half of them, but Tom's is the real deal. <laughs> Just kidding, all the authors out there, you're all my friends anyway. <laughs> So as far as like 
kind of keeping in in uh, the same realm as like the guidelines that you're talking about. Um, it's curious because you know I've I've had an opportunity to have a conversation with Jeff Meldrum. Very nice guy. Respect the hell out of him for what he has done for the the science of Sasquatch. But I find it I find it kind of odd that he has a tendency to refute anything over an 18-inch footprint. And the gentleman that I spoke to you about just a little while ago uh, down in New Mexico, I saw a print that he had brought with him to Bigfoot and Bruise that was, uh, I, I believe it was just a hair shy of 23. It was a big... It was a big dude. Um, I don't understand why, you know, because it, it seems like the scientific, the people that are in this topic that tend to lean heavily on science, and there's a few of them, seem to try to get across that, you know, one, they're apes. Two, that they're pretty much a maximum of eight foot at at very most. And that an 18-inch print, anything beyond that, is highly suspect and very unlikely. With your experience, with your knowledge of other people's experiences, um, does that seem to hold water with you or, or is that, uh, is that kind of a misnomer? Well, Jeff, number one, he's a friend of mine and, uh, you know, a Sasquatchology associate. We're on the Alaska Bigfoot cruise together in September sure. when he got sick, yeah. but, uh, no he's doing him better. And his science, but, uh, you know, he's never been out in bush and done what I've done. I was at, uh, Safari Club International, and I was a grizzly bear hunting guide selling trips with the company I worked with. And I was standing there looking at the world record grizzly bear at the time, and I kept looking at the tracks, and I finally got a tape measure, and I'm measuring it, and all of a sudden the guide came over from Alaska. He goes, well, I could just tell you how big the track is. And I was like, it's 16 inches. He's like, yeah. He goes, how big's the one you're tracking? I'm like, 16 and three-quarter, man. Solid. I call him Freddie because he lives in this drainage called Frederick Creek. So I call him Freddie. He's got a head arm like this. And he's got these big 16 and three quarter inch tracks. And he goes, my name's so-and-so. He said, I'm Tom Seward. He shook my hand. He goes, hopefully I'm here next year or two. And it'll be yours, Freddie, up there with a 16 and three quarter. That's a big, bloody track. And I said, yeah, it's a big, bloody bear. And I've seen bigger grizzly bear tracks. And, uh, you know, way in the up the river that was logged 40 plus years before no one's been up there but this dumb indian went up there for six days scouting for grizzlies and looking for grizzly skulls and grizzly kills so i can get the penal bones and claws and leg bones to carve uh shaman pieces but anyway as i'm up there i came across and i didn't have a tape measure but i knew it was bigger than freddie and i was in uh uh kodiak I'd seen a Kodiak Island bear 
and how big its tracks were. And it was huge, the dinner plates. So I've seen Sasquatch tracks. One I measured with cigarette pack, one, two, three, so forth. And then I ripped a piece of the top of the pack to make the size of the track. And I went back and measured it when I got back out of the bush. And that track was 19 and a half Bigfoot track. And it was a trackway. If I'd only had plaster, I wasn't an investigator back then. I was just out doing a tuckalup, just living out in the bush, looking around. And, yeah. You know, but it was a big Bigfoot track for sure, Sasquatch track. So are they out there? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's some pretty big critters out there. On social media last night, I've been a commercial fisherman 48 years. I've seen a lot of fish, a lot of biggies, you know, seen halibut that were seen one that was 427 pounds seven foot four that's a big halibut i got a picture of it on my computer my cousin caught it my cultural advisor and uh and then uh this picture last night on social media was uh what we call tommy cod gray cod pacific cod that thing was huge it was like as big as my desk here it's got to be well almost five and a half feet long that's how big this fish was i'd never seen one that huge i've seen pink salmon that usually are you know average two pounds two and a half pounds i seen one that measured out 27 pounds i got pictures of big slabby pink salmon like that that people have caught uh, i save them because i'm a fisherman you know our, our, our arms can only go so far but it sure backs us up in our stories when we say yeah i caught a pink salmon that big <laughs> like that guy caught in alaska in this fishing rod and so nature does its thing and everything with sasquatch is based upon nature's code everything gets pooped out in the bush everything will get toppled as a clan pack leader eventually by a younger stronger more dominant male for the genetic strengthening sasquatch clans will come together in their rendezvous powwow or potlatch like that famous video of the husband and wife with the night vision video camera sitting in their pontoon boat because their transmission blew on their pickup truck in California or Southern Oregon at nighttime with their two dogs just terrified. And you could hear Sasquatches mass vocalizing. It's like grizzly bears coming and there's a female grizzly ready in the heat and three grizzly bears will sit there and posture and rip the ground up and bluff charge each other till eventually one of the three goes, okay, I'm scared. I'm going to get my butt kicked here. I'm out of here. Then those two big boys clash and there's fur and blood and meat and they're just killing each other until one runs away all beat up and that big guy all beat up and frothing and slobbering and hurting goes over and mounts that female. Bush code. Everything is dictated by nature's code. The creator has his rule book we all adhere to. So with big tracks like that, yes, it's quite possible there is the 21 to 23-inch tracks out there. I've heard about them as well. Do I think Sasquatch break 10 feet? No. I've heard the stories of 14 and 16 footers, and I'm like, ow, 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 my legs hurt, and they're pulling it so bad. <laughs> You know, in 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 this gentleman uh, um, uh, in New Mexico, you know, he he's he's estimated, you know, just based on that that track size, that he'd be somewhere in the ten to eleven foot range, you know, and that seems incredible. It, yeah. But but so does a twenty three foot, twenty three inch foot. From from heel to toe, get to be over ten feet tall. You know, so I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just, I think, you know, I, I respect the hell out of Meldrum, and 
he's done an awful lot for the cause, but to dismiss anything outside of that range seems to be, if, if you are going to dismiss it, I would, I would keep that personal. I, I wouldn't, you know, instead of going public with it and saying that, um, but you got to remember, Jeff Meldrum and us other Sasquatch celebrities, we're the leaders of Sasquatchology. We're the captains on our decks. And that's why in Sasquatch Island Facebook group, if you come on and you, because we're Bigfoot without the BS, so I absolutely don't allow any chatter, chatter, chatter like a Sasquatch on cloaking, portal jumping, mind speaking, orb turning, orb turning flying and flying saucer Sasquatches. I've had many encounters, close encounters with Sasquatch where I knew they were there, smell them, hear them, so forth, saw them half a dozen times, lived in bush for years, but I've never had any of those what I call woo-woo experiences. Will I believe in woo-woo? Well, yeah, if all of a sudden I see a Sasquatch run up a ladder or gangway and get into a ufo and zip off yeah then i believe in that part of the wooism if one all of a sudden comes to me and um mind speaks with me and we have a communication and i wake up out of the after being in that zone and have a lot of my questions answered and i'll believe in that part as well but until then i can't believe in it so with jeff being a scientist and me i was taught and trained by the late Dr. John Bindernagel from early 1990s till his passing in 2018, I think it was. But anyway, John was a dear friend of mine, and we spent a lot of time investigating and chatter chattering like two Sasquatches about Sasquatches. And uh, we both believed it was a branch of Gigantopithecus Blackie in the early 1990s until a couple of years before his death when I went to him and I said, John, because I've seen them and I've really looked at tracks, you can't say Sas like your book, Sasquatch, North America's Undiscovered Great Ape. Yeah, we're all apes. Even us humans are supposed to be on that ape evolutionary tree, just a different branch. I firmly believe, I told John, I said, we all know about evolution. We believe in it, right? And he goes, yeah, unless you're Christian and devout and you believe in creation, but whatever. But with us evolutionary believers, we all know that our late ant relic, humanoid ancestor jumped out of a tree and was quadruped, dragging his knuckles eventually and eventually walking bipedally and losing its hair and its ridges on its brow and its jaw came in more to what our jaws are now. But mind you, we can see the odd human, especially the Slavs, Slavic descent in Asia and Eastern Europe that have those big jaws, that Neanderthal mm -hmm. look. Well, yeah. DNA showing us they got Neanderthal in them, some of them, yeah. apparently. I don't a know. Lot a lot of them. DNA A lot of them. Yeah. So to me, I believe that during that human evolutionary path, I believe the human sat there one day and went, hey, look, sparks. Oh, <laughs> look, we can do like lightning does when it hits tree. We have fire. Oh, but now I figured it out that we do this to a stick, creates heat like the fire. We now have fire. Oh, put a bow on it and bow drill, fire. Oh, now we got fire. Gee, I'm cold. Better, better start using these skins and hitting rocks and making knives and scrapers and arrows and atoll uh, throwing spears and harpoons and knives. And next thing you know, like the gods know, see Crazy, all of this modern stuff evolves into the human evolutionary track till all of a sudden some of the Sasquatches, like the gods must be crazy, said, look, 
everyone in our clan are fighting over the stone tools and implements and they're creating more religion and they're creating society tiers and I'm better than you because I have more arrowheads and I'm better than you because I have rainbow obsidian for a knife instead of just black. And this materialism that's coming is bad. So, honey, I think you and I should do like our ancestors did and get more one-on-one -on -one with nature and walk away from this longhouse, big house, Thule hut, teepee, earth house, and pit house and go live one-on-one -on -one in harmony with what Ekegekame, the creator, intended us to do, live in harmony and balance with nature like all the other animals. And when those humans did that, they either retained the hair or regrew it back. They got bigger because they were going up mountains and to harvest in the late spring, early summer. And they had to go down the mountain to go harvest the whatever. And then they had to go over this mountain range to go harvest this in this season. And because they weren't, they were competing with these hairless humans with the weapons and tools and fire and mass, the humans of the day, they were caught in a cockle bed, a shellfish bed, a berry patch, a hunting ground, a fishing zone, and they were attacked with weapons. So those big hairy humanoids said, let's become the humans of the night. And Ikagekame, the creator through evolution, took care of them and gave them nocturnal vision. And that's why Sasquatch eyes reflect. So now when you look at Sasquatch the way I do, because I study uh, the stories about the Kwakwakiwa with the basket lady and how Tonakwa, the male one there, will take those misbehaving children and eat them. How other tribes call the Sasquatches, the, in translated to English, the cannibal giants, the cannibals from the mountains. So when a bear or a wolf or a cougar or a grizzly bear eats a human, it's a human killer. We go kill the animal. We don't call it a, car, a, a cannibal. Right. So why is it that the Indians were calling Sasquatches cannibals prior to human co European contact and afterwards, and still to this day in some areas with their names translated to English, because they know what they are. The Sasquatches are the other tribe. They're just a bigger, hairier, nocturnal vision, human of the night who retain the ability to expel like a skunk its armpit. Uh, juices to make you gag because it tells you like broken shells on the beach at high tide piled up like the smell does when they expel it or when they shake a tree or they throw a rock lobbed towards you now you got to remember when they lob rocks at you they have the ability to throw a rock and pop your head like a tomato because what we can do with a 22 single shot iron sight rifle, a Sasquatch can do with a rock. So when you see those tail feathers and wings from birds and their little part of their legs, but there's no other part of the bird, it's because Sasquatch sat there and I see it in Vancouver Island when I see two dead cellar jays that are blue and or I see two crow wings because that Sasquatch went and got two birds, ate them, moved on. And so Sasquatches, when they lob a rock at you, that's just them telling you like everything else I told you, when they tree knock, especially, they're telling you, stop, turn around, go back where you came from. The same thing my relatives taught me when I was a young boy, when I was learning the bush world. When you see broken shells or here or see this, you turn around and get out of there. When I go clam digging in January, I'll go to the beach in the daytime and I'll leave the main boat with a tender boat and I'll go ashore and I'll look at the high tide mark. If I see any piles of any shellfish 
and indentations possibly in the gravel at the high tide mark. I'm going to get back in this dinghy, go back to the boat and go, yeah, Sasquatch is harvesting at this beach. Let's go around the corner. But a mile away, there's another good shellfish beach. I'll go check it again. No broken shells. I'll dig there that night. While I'm digging there that night, the Sasquatch might have just come in that day or the night before and didn't leave broken shells as it hasn't harvested the tide yet at night. But all of a sudden it goes to the beach and all of a sudden it's like, that stupid humans, hairless buggers with their lights, noisy generator, down there. Well, let's shake a tree. Let's push a dead one over. That's when I'll take the armload of cockles up. Yo, hello, how are you doing, Sasquatch? I don't know who you are. Here's some trolley. Here's some cockles. Go in peace, and I'll turn and walk back down the clam digging. The next morning, if you go look where I threw those cockles, oh, you won't find any. They've no. taken them in and eaten them. So wanna, that's how I look at Sasquatch. They're just humans of the night. I want to go back to a couple of things that you said. Um, you said at, at, at points, clans will come together and, and, and unite for whatever, whatever purpose that is. What, oh. do you, what do you know about their socialization between themselves, between family units, between clans, whatever, whatever the proper terminology is. Um, is it, is it a, Hey, how you guys doing? Let's hang out for a while. We're just passing through. Is it a, is it something that is of necessity, um, that maybe they need, you know, maybe, um, as far as hunting, you know, maybe uh, the area isn't as thick with uh, food as they had anticipated, so they need help and and share that. Or are they? Is it kind of a begrudging thing that you know we ran into each other? We don't necessarily want to be around you, but you are like us, so we'll we'll tolerate. And it, what do you know as far as the the socialization between between them? Number one, Bush Code, everything has to bump uglies. They have to do the do the deed. Mm -hmm. Got to strengthen the genetic pool. Got to make the species even stronger. That's the code. We can't break it. We don't incest because that's breaking the code, and right. we don't do that. So the code dictates that the Sasquatch clans have to amass from mass areas to come into a rendezvous, powwow, potlatch type of scenario. Rendezvous is the old frontier bush mountain men, prospectors, trappers who were in the bush for months, years on end, and now they converge. Well, someone brought a couple bunny buggy loads full of uh, ladies of the night. Uh, they could do some trading and go bump some uglies and whew, that'll do me for another year. <laughs> you know, it's just what we need to do. But with the Indians having powwow and potlatch, it was to bring us in and mass so that we could fornicate, have marriages. Oh, I just love that girl that lives in that village 300 miles away, Dad. Can we? Can I marry her? Okay, let's arrange the marriage. Now we can pass on our crests and songs and hunting areas. I get to bump a lot of uglies because now I'm married to her. So that's one of the main, main reasons. The other one is they get together, just like we get together in... Uh, whether it be an organization, a club, a Facebook group, a courthouse, a municipal governing body with the people attending and sending in their submissions or state level, provincial level, or federally. We converge and say, 
the Sasquatches say, remember old rogue Sasquatch so-and-so used to live in this area? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember going to his territory and vocalizing and parlaying with him so I could go through in peace and tell him that I might harvest a little bit, but do I have permission? Because they have laws, very strict laws, because they're like us. And then all of a sudden, the Sasquatch says, well, we found him. He was dead, so we went and buried him. So that area, uh, we would like to go and take his territory. Oh, wait a minute. We are on the north side of his territory. We want access to those shellfish beds and those alpine ungulate fawn drop areas above the tree line in the spring and summer and the Salmon River in the summer into fall. So how about we two clans split that old dead rogue's territory? And all of a sudden, the third clan pops up. Well, I'm just me and my wife and my young one because I'm a young adolescent Sasquatch, but I got turf edging that too, and I don't have a shellfish beach. So can I take that one shellfish beach? Yeah, okay. They have laws, very strict laws. The people I've talked to that have interacted with Sasquatches, the native people, and I'm sworn to secrecy on some of them, but my buddy on uh, Lucas White, almost on Indian Reserve, he's taught me so much. He always starts out by saying they have laws, Tom, very strict laws. And then he'll tell me stuff. And then he'll end it by saying, Tom, they have laws, very strict laws. Just for an example, he's found those squeaker spinner crib toys for babies when they can yeah. sit up. And found one a mile and a half in the bush in the Indian Reserve. Found a bicycle a couple hundred yards from the any road with a training wheel missing. You can just imagine that young juvenile Sasquatch who are coming to the Omaha Indian Reserve for the food that the humans are throwing out. And remember, there's a curfew on the Indian Reserve from 11 o'clock till 7 in the morning. So the Sasquatch is Sitonga and the humans don't interact at night. Well, when they come for the food, the humans put out as gifts so they don't get banged on the side of their house and the pictures shake because it's happening there. So anyway... Or the Sasquatch is digging through their freezers, which I heard a report of that happening there as well. So they feed them so they can eat at night. Well, you can imagine that young Sasquatch all of a sudden seeing that little crib toy or that little bigger Sasquatch seeing that bicycle. Next thing you know, he's playing with it. Next thing you know, he's going into the forest because it's getting towards daylight and they got to migrate away from the human area. And as they're doing it, they come across another clan member who's a big male. Now, you got to remember, my code of conduct is I don't ever think of 911-ing. I don't ever think of hiring a lawyer to deal with something. I would rather sooner hunt the human down than when I do meet him. Go Bushman, commercial fisherman, Indian res on his butt because he disrespected me. Yeah. Just don't get caught. But you can imagine that big Sasquatch walking up to that Sasquatch with the tricycle or the bicycle or the crib toy. What's wrong with you? We have laws, very strict laws. That's why we don't take any of the knives and axes from the human places where we go get the food. We're not to touch those human items. Human items produce bad, 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 bad. That's why we have these laws. Now let's look at us because we went like that with bow drills and click rocks for sparks and created flint napping and made arrowheads, spearheads, harpoon heads, and the list goes on. We would evolve to a point where we live in terror right now at times because we got Biden, Putin, Rocket Man in North Korea, the Pakistanis and the East Indians, the French and the 
uh, British with fingers over buttons right now, ready to push those buttons and cause yeah. a mass extinction of how many species on this planet. If not a mass fu fusion fission ignition, like Oldenheimer said on his movie the other night, that is a probability if you let off a bunch of nuclear bombs at one time, Total we turn Earth into a star. So that's where we are with evolution of materialization, weapons and tools and fire. So that's why Sasquatches don't allow the use of fire or tool use and very rarely clothes use. Yes, there is some cases of clubs in that. I'll go with that. And yes, there is the odd report of a knife being stolen in Anchorage or an axe left out on Vancouver Island by the native watchmen when they closed the gate at the end of hunting season where they shot elk or deer and left carcasses with sticks in the bellies after they took the entrails out, piled to the side as an offering for the Sasquatches to say, thank you for allowing us our tribe and others to hunt here, but now we've left you food, close the gate, no one will be here until springtime when we reopen it. And we've left an ax out for you guys and some rope. There's a couple cases where the code has been broken on Vancouver Island and elsewhere where I'm interacting with the humans about their Sasquatch activities and I'm hearing things that are very troubling and I'm telling them, don't be stupid. Use your frontal lobes. Don't be giving them weapons. Don't be leaving out stuff like peanut butter you know if they are which i think humans you know would you just give kids every time you saw a kid give them a spoonful of peanut butter no because there's peanut allergies that kill people so why would you bring peanut butter out to a prob probable human species because the way i think of sasquatch when we do have the conclusive proof of the existence of sasquatch now this opens up the conspiracy doors is we will have the third recognized Indian or indigenous tribe of the United States. You have the Inuit in Alaska in the north, you have the North American Indians. Sasquatch will be your third indigenous tribe. In Canada, we have we First Nations, the Inuit in the north, the Métis that just got recognition, what you guys call Cherokees, we call them Métis in Canada, and they just got indigenous recognition. And with those five indigenous recognized tribes in Sasquatch Island, we cost the taxpayers billions of dollars, free contact lenses, free dental, free, I got a $700 check from my chief and council yesterday for my Christmas bonus so I can buy turkeys. And so we Indians are spoiled rotten children in Canada and the US, we get everything. <laughs> and does the government want another tribe recognized? We can only think about what happened when the marbled murelet and the spotted owl, owl were said to be endangered, almost extinct by Absolutely. the Tufu Chew and environmentalists. Hundreds of millions of hectares of resource land, forestry, logging, mining, pipeline, urban expansion were taken off the table by the Canadian and the U.S. governments. Can you imagine what it's like when they identify Sasquatch and with the power that the environmentalist Tufu Chewers have? They're going to shut down all hunting, all logging roads, all pipeline, petroleum. The list goes on. And it will affect our GOPs in both of our countries when it's Sasquatch is identified. And that's why right now, when I looked at a person's cell phone that was smuggled out, and they showed me a video of a night vision on a helicopter just over the treetops, and the Sasquatch looking up, running with fear and hair and muscle movement. And then it goes right, left, right, and jumps again across a creek, looking at that up at that helicopter, probably 40, 45 feet up. 
all of a sudden the screen goes snowy. I looked at it six times. I slid the cell phone back to that gentleman, and it was a big iPhone about five years ago. And I said, that Sasquatch was machine gun. That's why it went snowy. He goes, yeah. And that's why we're seeing, as we were talking before the show started, why I study urban edge Sasquatches, especially here in Washington State. Um, I firmly believe that the military is doing what the military did back when Mr. Gatling invented the machine gun. Why did Mr. Gatling invent the Gatling gun? To kill Indians. Yeah. That's what it was made for. And why did they create Indian reserves? So they can shove us into this inferior agriculture and ranching areas in this inferior's ground and make us go on death marches across countries and give us smallpox contaminated blankets and generate the Gatling gun and make residential schools to eradicate our culture and heritage and ban our ghost dancing and potlatching. They did that in New Zealand. Yeah. In, or in, uh, what do you call it? New Zealand or not New Zealand, Australia, the Australian Aborigine was still considered flora and fauna until 1967. We Indians weren't classified as Canadian citizens with the right to vote in Canada until 1961. You know, this is stuff that Sasquatch investigators need to understand that maybe we better not go out to the middle of Timbuk nowhere and look for Sasquatch because number one, go to the beaches, go to the lake shores, go to the fields, Go to the open areas, the alpines, because Roger Patterson and just a few others were able to get us a bingoed Sasquatch in the yarn basket of North America, Sasquatch Island, the forest. So we Indians tell you, you want to see a Sasquatch, go to a cockle beach at low tide, go to a gravel bar on a be elevated and look down at where the salmon riffles are, where the salmon are moving up at night in the shallows, like Cowich and River on Vancouver Island. And my buddy walked into a restaurant last month and goes, oh, we went to the river the other night fishing. And you know where the riffles are by the bridge? I'm like, oh, yeah. Ah, Sasquatch breaking branches, throwing rocks at us. And I'm like, what'd you do? Did you get the video for me? Goes, oh, no, I got scared. Went back home. <laughs> so you want to see a Sasquatch, be smarter, charter an Indian guide. And that's what I am, Sasquatch Island. You want me to go jump to SeaTac Airport 22 minutes from this front door and jump on a plane you bought me a round ticket and fly me out to Ohio and bring me into Salt Fork Park again because I went there for Creature Week in 2017 while everyone was drinking beer the second night chatter chattering like Sasquatches in the pub I went up to my room after the event went to sleep got a couple hours and that night I went and staked out the dumpsters behind Salt Fork Park Resort and sure enough just before for two and one thirty in the morning, something was trying to come out of the bush, but he could smell the two people outside smoking uh, marijuana. And he come out and he went in, came out, went in, then disappeared. Next morning, I went there and looked. Lo and behold, thirteen and a half inch track. I almost seen a Sasquatch in Salt Fork State Park, and we know that's a hot spot. We do, and and it's it's funny that you bring that up because we did not talk about this prior to us recording, but my my girlfriend is she lives about five minutes from salt fork she worked there at uh at salt fork for 20 years and that's where i met her uh two years ago when i went there for the ohio bigfoot conference and we continue to have a a relationship with you know, we have to deal with five hours between the two of us at the, at this point. Um, but it, it's amazing that you would, 
you would go to that story because it is very, it is very much uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, so yeah, that area is, is rife with, uh, with reports. And I believe that's where, uh, um, the Ohio howl was, uh, was, uh, captured. And one of the other interesting things is, uh, the gentleman, uh, John Hickenbottom is the naturalist there for the state park for salt fork. And to my knowledge up until now, I, I don't, I still believe they are the only ones the Ohio DNR allowed John to do a six or seven part webinar series online about Bigfoot education. And it is, it is a, uh, I would say a beginner's guide to a very early media, um, medium, uh, intermediate, I guess would be the word for it as far as the information and stuff that is available that, that they put out. But I found that to be very strange that the, the DNR, the DNR would allow him to put that out on their own website. Um, See, you're not using your front, the loaves do like a Sasquatch. You smell that? I smell money. Money. DNR says we got Salt Fork Park. Exactly. We got to have three Sasquatch conferences a year there to try to pay our hydro and our wages and our insurance. Because when it gets cold out there, no one's going to go in that nice swimming pool. No one's going to go in the nice hotel rooms. But if all of a sudden we do like all these guys are doing, these Sasquatch celebrities and authors and podcasters and videocasters and all these documentary shows on tv that we can pay and watch you know we're making that guy up in alberta rich with his bunch of bs show he's got and others are like that as well and some of them are really good but the bottom line is there's it's a business it is it's gonna i was the first one of the first humans to ever do a boat-based whale watch tour when i was 15 years old with the zodiac in 1980 that summer i was doing boat-based grizzly bear tours in coastal british columbia first human ever do that making money with whales and bears who knew and then the next year, I participated in the first ever paddle of fiberglass kayak with whales. First time ever in North America and the world. Now you look at those industries, they're multi-million dollar industries. In 2019, when I was did the first ever commercial night tour boat out of Campbell River, which this tour boat worth almost 300 grand is used for whale watching and grizzly bear tours and water taxi and freight work, tied up to the dock in December. December 19th, 2019, we did the first ever commercial Sasquatch on the beach expedition because he has a built-in $32,000 flurry unit that looks like R2-D2 up on the roof <laughs> in the boat. And the clients loved it because it was heated, had a flush toilet, and sandwiches and hot chocolate were served while we're out Sasquatch <laughs> investigating. So no ticks. So, I'm a visionary. You know, I know, like, after Pe- Peggy finally got down to do our website this last week because I do the blueprinting, and she just busted butt. And she's used to work for Boeing for 35 years. But anyway, you could hear her like a logger out there cussing and swearing. And she'd knock on the studio door here. This page is up. Expeditions page is up. And I check it. And I'm just sitting there thanking her. Like, this website is smoking, Peggy. And it's got her expeditions. My art, our conference page just went up today where you can say Bigfoot and Bruise. 
oh, we better get Tom out there and we're going to need a bigger venue. So maybe we better talk to the local Indian tribe that Tom said that I should communicate with. And they're going to sponsor Tom and Peggy to come with the masks and the regalia and do the native cultural tunics and everything to do with Sasquatch. And then they're also going to be at Bigfoot and Bruise, but you have to pay so much to go see the performance down at the Tribal Casino Resort Conference yeah. Center. And at the same time, Bigfoot and Bruise is going on and or whatever. You know, I'm in this for a business. Yeah, and we need we need to come to me. We very much need to talk about that. Oh yeah. No, I've yeah. I put my own conferences on. I held BinderCon last November in twenty twenty two, a first annual uh memorial Sasquatch conference for late Dr. John Bindernagel and filled the house, man. It was yeah, great. I bet, I Even bet made a did. profit and I gave the money to his son for his mother who has dementia yeah. in a home. And you know, that was my contribution to John Bindernagel family. Fantastic. That's awesome. Um, oh, yeah. Like that, I say, do be like a Sasquatch. <laughs> smell that? Because I smell money. Yeah. You know? And, and there's some people out there going, how can you commodify Sasquatch? That is so wrong. Oh, come on. Give your head a shake. You come to the <laughs> Pacific Northwest and you'll see mass of the Tlunokwa, the highest ranked crest of the Kwakwakiwak Nation, that when those collectors like Jessup and Swan and others went for the Peabody and New York and Boston and the list goes on museums across North America and the world and went to places like Kwakwakiwak territory and other places in the Pacific Northwest and said, we would like to buy that Chonacha mask or that carving or that memorial pole or house post right here in Seattle. There's two, a memorial pole, a ridicule pole at the University of Washington Burke Museum of Chonacha holding up a copper shield but it's made of wood that came from one of our villages but it's a replica you can go to occidental square and see where an artist was paid probably eighty thousand dollars to do a Junaha welcoming pole 24 feet tall you can go into the seattle art museum downtown and see two Junaha house posts with other crests on it that came from one of my tribal villages that a chief said Oh, I want new Victorian looking house. I'll sell you my old house posts for your museum in Seattle so I can buy lumber and windows and an oil stove because my wife will be real happy when she has a regular bed in a nice Victorian house. Okay, we'll buy it. So how can we commodify Sasquatch? Well, we do it with everything. There, When I hear these pompous on a soapbox, whiny Indians condemn me because I'm commodifying Sasquatch. I'm like, yeah, you got a lot of nerve. You're sitting there in your carving studio, carving a Chonacha mask or a Hamat's Humsumala mask, Humsum, which is a type of bird, raven, crooked beak of heaven, or the hookoo that smashes human skulls from Bukbukwal and Uxway's realm, but that's a whole different story. But anyway, they're very sacred. Those masks of the humpsum were so sacred that in the day, even nowadays, I'll go to people's houses and you'll see their humpsum ala masks covered in blankets because the sun is not allowed to touch them. They'll tie, what do you call it, ribbons, like scarves around the beaks. So at nighttime, they don't wake up with those powerful masks clacking like they do in the potlatches when they're danced. But these things are in the art galleries. You can go to the museums like I mentioned and see these very supposed very sacred items modern ones that are being sold to museums and old ones that were bought over 100 years ago so when we look at sasquatchology the industry of sasquatch look behind me look at all that art those footprints 400 500 bucks 250 each or two for 400 
the designs, those are originals. Those are 1500 bucks each if someone wants them. But you can order through SasquatchLegend.com all my designs on T-shirts. And they have an online store. I'll be there tomorrow in Forks, Washington because, bah humbug, I don't like Christmas. I'm going Sasquatch investigating and staying in Forks, Washington. I'll be at the store during the afternoon painting my art and talking to people. But during the day, mornings and daytime, I'm going to be Sasquatch investigating while everyone's sitting there putting up with family they don't like half of anyway. And they got to sit down for turkey dinner. I'm going to be walking along the beaches of the West Coast of the Olympic Peninsula going, there's no one out here. They're all celebrating Christmas. <laughs> hey, uh, we're, we're coming up on two hours, pretty close. Um, there's, there's one story that I have heard you talk about before, and I would like you to, I'd like for you to talk about that on my episode as well. Um, and that is about the woman, uh, that was found at the rest stop. Um, oh, and and the reason and the reason I want I want you to get into that is because I'm curious as to your thoughts on that in relation to the Dave Polites missing four one one and and if there's any you know was that was that a rogue male um, is is you know I, I have to assume that since we're talking about a tribe of people like us only um, more evolved and less evolved all at the same time as, as you know, you're going to run into people who have differing personalities. You could run into somebody who has a, a mental disorder. You could, you know, there, I'm sure that if, if there are people like what you say and what I believe they are, um, those those type of themes are going to manifest in them as well. So what happened with this woman at the rest stop? And okay, so we'll go <clears> back a little bit. A few years ago, we were going from Campbell River west across Vancouver Island to Gold River. And uh, we we're going along the upper Campbell Lake, windy highway, cliff on one side, cliff bank, steep, a couple hundred feet down to the lake. But we just had a whole bunch of coffee at breakfast. So and me, I got to go bathroom all the time. So anyway, I'm like, around that corner, you're going to see the pullover where the cement barriers are. There's enough room to pull over. Pull over, I got to pee. Yeah, me too, one of the guys say. So anyway, we pull over. And as we're peeing, I'm like, hey, guys, look down. Look at that. There's Bigfoot tracks in the pea gravel on the other side of the barrier. And all of a sudden, one of the guys tries to jump over. And I'm like, hey, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Look. Let's follow along the asphalt here and look at the pea gravel. Look where the tracks go. Look at those piles of toilet paper. And we got up and I'm like, oh, that sick bastard. He actually got down on his hands and knees that Sasquatch and smelled that toilet paper from that girl who urinated there and smelled it. Okay, your eyes went big, your body language ticked. <laughs> We're sick. You know, you just have to go to Pornhub or YouTube and see some of the simple <laughs> humans out there. You know? And, you know... There's, I don't want to say it because it's a family show, but anyway, we commercial fishermen get real crude, joking around and so forth. But anyway, you know, just people sell panties online, you know, yeah. so thinking about that and not thinking in that closed-minded, oh, those things we don't talk about. Talk about it. You're dealing with Sasquatches. They're just as sick as us. Yeah. So, yes, and I've after I've realized Sasquatches were 
some of the males are sick puppies and they're bending down and smelling toilet paper wads from females. I was like, you know, I don't go in the outhouses along Vancouver Island Highway because they stink like outhouses. I go yeah. pee outside them. Right. And you always see the female toilet paper out there. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to start going to investigate some of these high traffic female urination sites, roadside outhouse facilities. There's probably half a dozen on the Vancouver Island Highway and uh, from uh, Campbell River northwards and started finding Sasquatch tracks, knee impressions, hand impressions. Those sick bastards are bending down smelling pee piles, toilet paper piles. So now thinking on that, one of those rest stops on Vancouver Island, just north of Roberts Lake and Campbell River. So we go by there, pull in there all the time. My grandmother told me she saw a mutt digging in the garbage can one time. I don't know why there's a mutt way out in the middle of nowhere. I said, that wasn't a mutt. That was a wolf digging in the garbage can. And someone had left the lid up because they have those lids that you have to have an opposable thumb to open on Vancouver Island so the bears don't get in them. And wolves, but someone had left that lid open. That's why the wolf was in there. So anyway, this rest stop had cement picnic tables, cement outhouses, and... uh, cement garbage cans with bear-proof latches. So we always stopped there. And all of a sudden I drove by and there's all those preformed, custom-made, like Lego cement blocks weighing 500 pounds or whatever each. I'm like, wow, they shut down the rest stop. Didn't think much of it until I went there with uh, <laughs> one of the guys that does Sasquatch TV shows. We call him Slimy Steve. I don't even want to get into him. But anyway, I got no use for him no more. But anyway, we stopped. You know, heard up there in Port McNeil that uh, a girl was found dead there, decapitated, left arm removed, body pummeled, clothes still intact, no sexual abuse. The police went to the house, bang, bang, bang. You have to come with us. Uh, We think we have your sister. We need you to identify. It's Canadian law. You can have their ID, but you still have to identify. So the brother, I guess, went and, oh, my God, that is my sister. What happened? Well, first off, we're tracking a serial killer on Vancouver Island or two. And we don't want to alarm the public. So can you please not go to the media with your sister's death or social media? And he's, yeah, okay, I'll agree to that. We just got to deal with her now. What happened? Well, she phoned me. She said she was going to drive up after work from Victoria, one end of Vancouver Island to Port McNeil, almost on the other end, the north end. And she'll be there for breakfast in the morning. Either she'll let herself in with her key late at night and sleep downstairs like she usually does and be there for breakfast, or she'll pull over in a rest stop and have a snooze and then be here around breakfast time. We didn't see her at breakfast. Now we know what happened to her. Where'd you find her? Well, at this rest stop, but we don't believe a cougar, wolf, or bear, or a human did it to her. We think a Sasquatch killed your sister. And apparently, after more investigating, we find out that there was apparently a discharged bear spray at the scene of the incident. And uh, so you can imagine that girl pulling into that rest stop, and it's almost probably 320 degrees surrounded in trees. And there's a creek down below, about a 60 foot down, uh, called Big Tree Creek. And it goes under the bridge across the highway. And the rest stop is at the top of a two-lane passing lane going up on the south part, southward side. And you can imagine her pulling in there late at night, probably got out to have a pee, took her bear spray because it's dark. And, you know, maybe there's some sicko Sasquatch 
on his hands and knees smelling toilet paper wads that are outside the outhouses or digging in the garbage can. Who knows? But anyway, she probably discharged the bear spray by the sounds of it to the Sasquatch, and he just went set rogue on her butt and killed her. Yeah. So, you know, didn't eat her, though. So that didn't tell us right there that it wasn't a rogue Sasquatch. It was a violent so, crime. <laughs> it, it was, was, it was violent, an act of violence. Yeah. Yeah, well, if you got bear spray in your nose and eyes, man, in your mouth, yeah, I'd, I'd, if I could, I'd probably do the same thing if someone discharged bear spray on me for no reason. Yeah. Pretty gory, oh, wow. scary though, eh? Yeah, and you yeah, know we got. They've just recently started some group, Facebook group, I think. I don't know. I just seen something about. It. I haven't even checked on it, about the missing people on Vancouver Island over the last so many decades. We got a lot of missing people on Vancouver this Island, a, more a so considerable in, uh, amount. Northern yes. British Columbia, the Highway of Tears, they call it. There's right, so yeah. many. Yeah. Now I'm not saying every one of them are from Sasquatch. But, you know, probability, like I read something today on a post from uh, about missing people. And it was uh, most people that go missing are found dead in the bottom of canyon gullies, steep bluffs, hikers, hunters, mushroom pickers, so forth. But, you know, the ones that aren't found, you know, search and rescue is going out, um, you know, there's that after 72 hours in Canada, it's no longer search and rescue. It's a recovery. Recovery, Yeah. But when you look at YouTube and social media and you see these gunships and helicopters killing the enemy soldiers, you can't tell me that the North American and other militaries don't know about their Sasquatch, Yeti, Yowie, Neanderthal, Almas, Almaseti, and the list goes on, Orang Pendek, you know, because these infrared are so advanced in the military and uh, police and so forth search and rescue you know it's they know they're out there and like i saw that one get chased by a helicopter there it was amazing footage and unfortunately it's not being released because the people who took it smuggled out of somewhere it shouldn't have come from but eventually it will everything comes out you know even look at how i got to be a i guess you could helped me and become an investigator in Sasquatches, Art Bell, 1991, I think it was, when I went to Alert Bay, I went to my cousin's house, who was a native carver, still is, and sat down that evening, and he's, oh, we got to listen to Art Bell. I'm like, who's Art Bell? He introduced me to Art Bell, and it was uh, the one we listened to, I'll never forget. It was a guy who was ex-military, who was in uh, the control room with all of the uh, monitors of cameras that were in the tunnels that Reagan built that had a train track, ceramic tiles and sand above them so that this rail line would go back and forth with all these intercontinental ballistic missiles in that desert military grounds so that they couldn't get a direct hit from the enemy because all the train did was stop and pop up through the tiles into sand, launch its missiles down and then travel again. And the surveillance in this test tunnel system under this military base, they were were watching Sasquatches, dragging in animals, food, having their regular sleeps, bringing in bushes and things to lie on. Eventually the military said, we got to get rid of them. So they watched the surveillance cameras while they closed the gates and the entryway to the outside. And they went in and gassed them and put them to sleep 
and, and he watched on the monitors as all this Sasquatch family were being carted out. And he said this wasn't just a one-time case either. And so the military, the government knows Sasquatch exists. And that's what I have in my Sasquatch guidelines that I wrote that I'm, you know, I'll email it to people that want it. They just got to give me a donation. That was a lot of work and time. But eventually it'll be in a book they can buy. And the podcasters, I'll email it to you if you want to do another podcast on the guidelines. Absolutely. But one of the things it states in there is the governments have to come clean on what they know about Sasquatch. They need to come clean on a lot of things. Um you know, uh, not to not to change the subject dramatically, but, you know, over the past three, four years, the uh, the topic of UFOs, um, you know, they don't exist for 70, 70, how many, 70 some years? Nope, nope, you're crazy. It's nuts. And now all of a sudden um, we've got videos from from our airmen uh, that that are irrefutable. The, they, they can no longer say that they don't exist. Um, oh yeah, and, well, and let's leave it at that for another episode, and I'll tell you about the <laughs> Indian connection to UFOs. <laughs> you know, I, I I wondered if you were ever going to bring up, you know, the you know the reference to star people and stuff like that. Not in relation to Bigfoot. I I'm not. I, there are some aspects of the woo that I find very interesting, and I myself feel that I experienced infrasound. That's not woo. That's during, a scientific fact. Well, and I know it is, um, but it, it tends to be grouped in the woo stuff when, when talking about it, uh, Sasquatch. Um, no, it's just the woo-woos wanting to get more recognition for woo-woo. And, and you know, <laughs> so it, long story short, I was interviewing a witch and she was she was posed to me as Native American. So when I when I went into this interview, I was under the impression, or, or at least my assumption was, that she was going to be a Native American healer or a medicine woman or something of that. But she was literally a witch, uh, in the sense of she practiced white magic she practiced black magic um and this was very early on this was my fifth episode and she lived only about 35 minutes away from me so i offered to come to her house to do the interview in person instead of doing it over a phone and long story short um we were in the midst of the interview our uh our interview was interrupted by a very, very loud, thunderous roar that was, it was just, it was deafening. I, I, I had, at the time I had uh, over the ear headphones on, I whipped them off. She and I both turned to look out the, the window of her, her room. And she looked back at me and she said, did you hear that? And I was like, did I hear that? Yeah. Hell yeah. I heard it. And, every inch of my body had uh, goosebumps on it. I mean, from my, my calves, my thighs, my, my chest, the sides, everywhere. I was just covered in goosebumps. And I had very good equipment with me and I knew for a fact, I knew without a doubt that my equipment picked that noise up because it was so loud. And when I went back 
and I played the recording back, all you can hear is at the end of her saying the word and, at the very end of it, in the background, you can hear, almost like the hoot of an owl. It was just a woo at the end. And that is it. There is nothing. But the really weird thing about it is that recording, sometimes you can hear it. Sometimes it's not so, it's not so present. But I've had friends that have been like several feet away from me playing that audio clip from across the room. And I can hear it better from a long distance than I can when it's like right up to me. And it took me about three days to figure out that when that happened in that moment, when it happened, I got the goosebumps and it, then it kind of faded, but it came back and then it kind of faded off a little bit and it wasn't quite as strong. And then it came back again and it faded and it wasn't quite as strong and it took about three or four days and it hit me that it was kind of like an electrical charge. That's how my body reacted to it. And I was like, Holy shit. What if, what if this wasn't what I heard as much as my body reacting to a infrasonic sound? And then it dawned on me. I'm like, that's what people say. That's what they're referring to when they say they got zapped when they're out in the field. And the first thing that went through my mind when it happened was, fuck, I left my gun out in the car. The second thought, and this goes back to what you and I were talking about before we even started recording. The second thought almost right afterwards was shit. I got 40 pounds of dog food in the backseat of my car. And I thought, what a, what a weird, what a weird thought to have. See, to me, it's like when I used to go fishing and because I'm Indian, I'm allowed multiple unlimited fishing rods. I used to go bank fishing where I put a, Led with a worm, half a earthworm that I injected with a hypodermic needle, some air, so it flowed off the bottom above the weeds mm-hmm. about five feet above the bottom with my leader. Yeah, and I put a V stick down and rock on my rod, and eventually I would have instead of two rods, I would have eight, ten rods out. And sure enough, I'd be fighting a little pan fry, maybe a pound rainbow trout, and all of a sudden there goes one rod, and all of a sudden phew, goes off into the water. Who knows how big that big trout was? Because I caught a couple that were between five and eight pounds. And for Vancouver Island, that's a hefty, hefty trout in the lake. That's bragging rights. And I realized then that having over three rods, I wasn't able to concentrate on fishing the way I could be, should be doing and be productive. So in other words, I'd lost two rods because of big fish. I'd lost numerous big trout because I wasn't able to set the hook. And that's when I went back down to one and two rods. So the old Indian man got long in the tooth and wised up a bit with age through experience. So that's what I tell people about Sasquatch. So when you're investigating for Sasquatch, leave the bloody woo-woo stuff on the other end of the fence. Stay on the critterist side because as late Dr. John Binderenagel taught me, 
let us get conclusive proof of the existence of the creature, and we know what it is, then we can dwell on the possible other aspects it may or may not have. Yeah. And if we look at our leaders in Sasquatchology, they generally have capital D, small r, period after the name. Dr. Jeff Meldrum, Dr. Robert Alley, Dr. John Bindernagel, who's no longer with us, Dr. Grover Krentz from the University of Washington, who's no longer with us. Now, and then if we look at some of the old guard that are gone, they may as well have had doctorates. Right. Peter Byrne, Renee DeHinden. DeHinden. Um, Bob Gimlin should have an honorary doctorate of Sasquatchology for all the good he's done for us, and he's still alive and with us, you know. So be focused. Don't dwell on the other end of the fence. Think of my fishing. It's better to be a better fisherman by having one or two fishing rods than it is to have eight to ten. You'll yeah. get your fish more often than lose them. And that's how we got to look at Sasquatchology. And with the woo-woos, you know, I, I mean, you know, offense, but you got to remember that I saw the world's largest black bear with long legs one time. I was went to a bay before dark and I tied my painter line on my 18-foot speedboat with the motor up. So I was only drawing three inches of water. And with hip waders on, I was walking in about six inches to a foot and a half of water the eel grass which is usually at high tides five six feet high was flat as the current was coming in with the rising tide and i was bending down when i'd see those cockles that are like a shelf like a clam but they're like a look like a scallop with the fringes going from the back hinge forward and i'm grabbing the favorite food of the sasquatch putting it in the boat and all of a sudden i looked up and there's the world's longest leg black bear i ever saw and boop, zapped woke up freezing it's dark it's foggy i'm in my speedboat and i'm smell i smell bull kelp i look over the side and i'm in a bull kelp forest it's that kelp that floats on the surface but its roots are affixed to the bottom 20 30 feet down and here i am tied up with my sideline we use them for anchors and i'm like where the hell am i okay what okay this kelp bed Okay, it's got to be an Indian channel. So I start the speedboat up in the fog. I get to the beach. I look up. Oh, I recognize this beach and rock wall and trees. I'm at this island. Compass course this. That'll bring me to my dock and floatos. 20 minutes later, I'm in my bed warming up, no longer shivering. I can't remember what took place in about a three and a half to four and a half hour period, other than what I just told you. Yeah. And everyone goes, go get hypnotized. We'll find out what happened because you think something happened nasty with a Sasquatch. That's what you think, right, Thomas? I don't know. I just know something happened. Well, go get hypnotized. I'm like, dude, I used to hunt humans for a living that didn't pay their debts and make them pay their debt. I got so many skeletons in my closet. I don't want to be hypnotized because that person could sell that video and audio for thousands <laughs> of dollars. And I might end up in Crowbar Hotel not being hypnotized. But what happened? Yeah. I got mental band-aided. I got so shit scared and it was such a traumatic incident, whatever took place in that bay, that that blacked out. So when we look at people that we know that were sexually abused, physically abused, airplane crashes are a good example. You don't see them or see them on social media going, oh, it's a terrible day. I'm thinking about when I was sodomized when I was a young girl or a young boy. They don't do that. Yeah. 
the mental band-aid kicks in. Sybil's a great example of it. She just went down the mental band-aid path of how many different split personalities right. and split personality disorder is exactly that. Dealing with the trauma. So when I hear people come to me and go, oh, it's just cloaked right there in front of me. And if you look at the picture right there, it's going to be cloaking, question mark. It's called blending. So I'm putting all the trees in now so that that black and white Sasquatch looks like it's cloaking. It's actually blending because Sasquatch has forgotten more about the bush world than we will ever know without supernatural qualities. They're just a critter. That's the way I look at them. So with the mental band-aid, when you hear of the UFO flying, portal jumping, mind speaking, orb turning, cloaking Sasquatch, Study the human before you study the Sasquatch. And it really will teach you a lot about how to find a Sasquatch and what Sasquatches are like. So when you look at this into someone's, why are they like that? You'll find out that they were the guy that got their head flushed in a urinal in high school and they never had a prom date. Like that guy that's running around Alberta. That's what I think he was like. I know, because I used to be the bully in high school, flushing heads in the urinals that didn't give me their lunch money. You know, humans are nasty critters. Yeah. I was this little nastier because I was brought up on Indian Reserve. And when I moved to the cities, I was in the east side of Vancouver, which is a pretty, you got to be tough in order to get forward in that place. And then in grade seven, I went to Shawnigan, grade eight and nine, I went to Shawnigan Lake Boys Private School, where I was a filthy, rotten, dirty, chug Indian. And I was there with all these spoiled, rotten, millionaire kids that the parents didn't want. So they shoved them into a boys boarding school. And I had them doing things to me where I hit someone so hard with uh, my rugby cleat in the change room because he tried to do something nasty to me after I got out of the shower that the cleats on the soccer boot tore his penis. But that Aryan nation bigot would never look at me or pick on me again. And the big German Schultz who spit on me because I was a filthy, rotten Indian. I snuck into his bedroom at about 1.30 in the morning and beat him with a lamp thing that I built in the lathe at the woodwork shop that week. And he would never look at me or pick on me again. That's bush code. That's how bushers do it. So Indians, commercial fishermen, seaweed camp people, loggers do it. And that's how Sasquatch does it. That's why I always tell people at the end of my shows, be safe out there in your investigations and always be respectful of a Sasquatch so they don't slap you upside the head like the rogue Sasquatch was will do to a disrespectful investigator. It emphasizes the point to the people that be respectful of Sasquatch because they're not like us concrete humans, or not me, I'm not one, but the concrete humans that are, I'm going to write you up. I might have to go to management about your attitude. I'm going to phone 911 on you. I'm going to get my lawyer after you. No, no. Sasquatch and bushers don't do it that way. After so I when take you go a into video the Sasquatch you. world, you start acting like a proper human like they do. They have laws. We have laws. Very strict laws. Be respectful out there. Be respectful of your fellow Sasquatch investigators. Yes, I'm adamantly anti-woo. But you don't see me going on there going, oh, you're so full of this. Right. Yeah, yeah, and you know. But yeah, the trolls I do, I attack them ruthlessly, the trolls, you know, and the hoaxers. I got no time for trolls or hoaxers. What are your thoughts on 
the TV shows, the, the things that have made it to, to TV, who's doing it right? Who's doing it wrong? Jeez. I, my guess, my guess is going to well, be, my guess is that Les Stroud, the survivor man, is going to be in with the crowd that is, has done it right. Watch YouTube, Sasquatch Island. It's a very interesting one where I'm on a commercial fishbowl west of Clem 2. Okay. And uh, why did the Indians in Clem 2, the Kittisu Heihei tribe, why did they only bring them to the lake just at the edge of town at the wrong season when Sasquatches are supposed to be there? They weren't there that time of the year. They're in the shellfish beaches. You can tell by the foliage and the leaves and everything. And, uh, you know, I went there with my TV show, Aboriginal Adventures Canada. And for you listeners, you can watch that on the FNX network on the Internet. Aboriginal Adventures, it's called. I dress up in my traditional tunic and cedar bark headpiece, grizzly claw necklace, and go into tourism operations throughout British Columbia. It was a pretty good series back in the day in the early 2005, 2006 era. But anyway, I was in Klemtu. And they brought me into their ceremonial kuksi, their big house, and they performed their mask dances and button blanket dances and drum for me. Why didn't they do it with less? See, so doing it properly. How do we do it properly? Well, I phoned Expedition Bigfoot uh, when they first came out first season. I watched it. Russell, I know Russell. He brought me to his yeah. international Bigfoot conference. He's a great guy, good businessman. Yeah. And, you know, I emailed them all. And uh, Ronnie LeBlanc got back to me and said, oh, something happened back in your past. And we don't want you on our TV show because it might give us a bad reflection. Yeah, we'll get canceled. Oh, it was fake news. <laughs> it was about me apparently taking people into a burial ground of my people. I brought a photographer in there to get pictures for my chief and council's year-end report as a native watchman appointed by my chief and council. I just happened to be wearing my native tunic and headpiece because I wore that 24-7 out there when I was working. So anyway, it went on the internet. And of course, everyone said I was taking people into burial ground as paying clients. Bullshit. I would never do anything so disrespectful. But that was Ronnie's excuse. And, you know, and then I approached some other people and asked them, you should get me on there. You know, I think I know a little bit about Sasquatch. And I'm bringing the Indian perspective, and I lived in Bush for decades, and I've seen them, and I've studied with numerous Indian tribes throughout Sasquatch Island, North America. I think I could really help you with your ratings. Oh, God forbid, Tom. The truth is, you'll take our spotlight. Coca-Cola <laughs> and Viagra will come to you to pay you for the TV commercials because you're a famous Sasquatch guy on TV. And they'll be inviting you to the conferences and paying you. I took a chance a year ago in November, coming from Sasquatch Summit in southern Washington, west side, west coast. Peggy's driving, we're coming up to Tacoma, and I'm like, what the heck? The Alaska Bigfoot cruise, they got Jeff, um, uh, David Pilates and Jeff Meldrum and two other slots for future performers on this thing. So I just sat there and... No offense, white man's magic, the internet on <laughs> I-5. And I read it to Peggy after I hit send because I didn't want her to go like a regular wife. 
do you think we really have time to do that? I just, <laughs> I said that. Next thing you know, a couple of days later, I get an email from Marty at Gather Up Events. Yeah, we looked into what you sent in the email and all the things and your stage performance, your speaking YouTube clips. And you can speak well, you can perform, you're well known. Yeah, we'll bring you on the cruise. Ah, Peggy and I went to Alaska and back on a free cruise. <laughs> and man, oh man, I just about to go to AA after that. All the drinks I was having with all the <laughs> other almost 400 Sasquatchers that took the Alaska Bigfoot cruise. They're already selling tickets for 2024. Peggy and I are flying to Juno for the town hall meeting. Book, book, book. It is a bucket list thing to do. Yeah. And uh, podcaster needs to be on there and uh, interviewing the 400 guests and the presenters. They got uh, Jeff Meldrum because he got sick and the Coast Guard had to take him off the cruise ship outside of Ketchikan this year on the southbound yeah. return. Uh, that actually, uh, that actually, Moira, Myra. That actually happened during Bigfoot and Bruce. Yeah. We had gotten news of it as it was going on while my conference was going on. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, I watched, I videotaped the Coast Guard boat leaving the ship with them when we were drifting around south of Ketchikan. And, you know, I was really concerned. You know, he was my shipmate during that trip and a good friend of mine and visited Sasquatch Associate. And then uh, this year they got Myra. I can't pronounce her name right. Myra, the one on Expedition Bigfoot, Finding Bigfoot. Mar Mariah Mayer. Yeah, she's yeah. going to be on the cruise. And uh, Dr. Robert Alley, you know, another one of the capital D small R periods that's still with us and doing great with his book, Raincoast Conservation and Brushes with Bigfoot and Talks, he does. And a good friend of mine just lives south of me. But anyway, uh, you know, it's with the shows and that, you know, number one, I'm going to say it the way it needs to be said. I'm an Indian. Remember what I said earlier? Yeah. You know, it's that. That's oh, why I'm asking really you. want to bring an Indian on it? It's jealousy. I've forgotten more about Sasquatch than most of these people on TV will ever know. While everyone was sitting there using automatic light switches and flushing toilets and hot and running water and nice warm houses with heat. I was living under a tarp wrapped around with a wool blanket and a tarp around me with a gun between my legs, leaning up against my bush partner as grizzly bears are walking around us and we're smelling Sasquatches from time to time. I was out there living like a Sasquatch while people were sitting there going, well, maybe I should get into this Sasquatch industry. It seems to be profitable. So yeah. I'll get into it. And that's why they don't put me on the TV shows. So what do I got to say about it? I got sick and tired of trying to work with people like Craig Yanni, Pacific Northwest Sasquatch. Oh yeah, I'm a video Photographer, I'm an editor. I got the software. I'm going to do videos with you and we're going to do TV shows and put it on Tubi and Netflix and Amazon Prime. We're going to approach the networks. I had other guys working with other Bigfoot shows tell me the same BS. And what I think it is, is they're promising me, but shelving me going, oh, no, no, we're not going to make a show with him. We just don't want him to make a show. I had one guy actually contract me up all of 2023. I couldn't work with any production companies without breaking my contract with them. And he never did. I always got an excuse why we didn't start filming native Sasquatch. So uh, me and Peggy, we said, hell with this. So the Sasquatch Island team, we now have two P1000 Nikon telephoto built-in cameras. We have all kinds of 4K GoPros top of the line. We got low light video cameras, lavs, Peggy's busting her butt with well over $2,000 with the editing software programs and a new Mac 
top of the line laptop, and we're just gonna do our own damn show and get that spotlight. We're well, not gonna share it either. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for Watch you. Watch out for the Indians. We're good circling you. your wagon. Either own me and get me on your shows, or suffer the ramifications of your actions and never put me on your shows. Yeah. And the guidelines, um, you know. There's things I'm doing because I believe that we need a policeman in the Sasquatch industry. So one of the things I'm doing is, you know, educating people. People phone me. What do you think about this person? No, that's slimy Steve, man. He wants to kill Sasquatch. Now, you know, you don't want him in your tribal territories. And now they're British Columbia coastal Indians is talking about banning one of the Sasquatch television producing guys we all know of. They're looking at uh, banning them from coming to coastal British Columbia for any intent to film or document Sasquatch because he's known he wants to kill a Sasquatch and he's advertised it on his social media and all over the place that he wants to shoot him with a bazooka from a helicopter goes out in Alaska with all the artillery weapons and everything and then we got the shows that are on TV that you know want to go out and kill a Sasquatch, and they're ad libbing all this Sasquatch stuff. Yeah. Like, come on now, you're 480 pounds. I used to be 100 pounds heavier. I know what it's like being an obese fat bugger in camouflage so tight that if a button popped, it'd take an eyeball out at six feet. That's what you look like, and you're telling me you're going to get a Sasquatch? Come on, yeah. All you're doing is trying to get ratings and money on TV right. and get bumping uglies with girls at the bar afterwards of a conference. I've been to the conferences. I know what takes place. So what I'm looking at is, you know, we got to educate people that this killing of Sasquatch has to end. Of over the 600 plus Indian tribes in North America, Sasquatch Island, not one Indian tribe will ever condone, support the killing or thinking of killing of a Sasquatch. So all of the non-Indians that are listening to this podcast, smarten the hell up and start showing that you got some frontal lobe and some intelligence and you know how to respect another bipedal creature that we share North America with. That's what I'm educating people on, as well as the slime balls that are in our Sasquatch group, our community. And we all know them. They're out there. Yeah. You know, I, you just, but we got to be, like I say, like a rogue Sasquatch, like a bush coat. Every now and then, give them a slap upside the head. You know, there's been a few guys I said, I'll meet you at the conference and we're going to go outside behind the dumpsters, behind the conference hall. One of us is going to walk back in the conference <laughs> right away. And I don't think it'll be you, pal. And when I went to that conference, everyone's like, Tom, that's a guy you're supposed to meet at the dumpster. And I went, come on, let's go. He ran out the door with his lanyard. You never did stay or come back to the conference. <laughs> you know, I got one more question for you and we're going to end it because we're right about uh, two and a half hours. Habituation. Is it a good thing for people to try to do? Is it bad thing for people to try to do? People that say they're doing it, is it complete and utter bullshit? People that say they are doing it in this day of cell phones are so full of shit, their eyes should be brown. Bottom line, when in doubt, throw it out. Bunk and bullshit. That's what uh, Dr. Brindernagel taught me when we worked together and investigated together. Habituation, absolutely. Let's look back, our generation, that's the younger generations after YouTube and search uh, Indian TV commercial, Indian and buckskin paddling into an urban environment television commercial, 1970s. YouTube search that. 
And you're going to see this buckskin-clad Indian. Actually, I think he was Italian. But anyway, he's paddling into the urban environment in his birch bark canoe, all buckskinned up, long gray hair. And he sees the effluent coming into the river. He sees the smog coming out of the factories. He sees the gridlock, rush hour, honking of horns. He sees the garbage dumps and the machines pushing mountains of garbage. He sees the dead fish in the river. He's standing on the side of a freeway and this white vehicle goes flying by him and a bag of fast food packaging lands at his feet and the Indians are standing there and a tear rolls down his cheek. I remember that commercial. That started the green environmentalism movement. It helped springboard Greenpeace into an international corporation and other environmental organizations that I have no use for because environmentalists, as far as I'm concerned, in North America are the worst invasive species to the North American Indians and Inuit and others. But anyway, the whole green movement started from that. So here we are with leaders with fingers over buttons ready to eradicate this planet. Here we are with corrupt business people that have our gas four or five dollars more a gallon in the U.S. In Canada, it was over ten dollars a gallon a year and a half ago. And it's right now over nine bucks a gallon up there. So my my pack of cigarettes cost me 12 bucks here in Washington state cost me 25 bucks. If I don't go to an Indian reserve in Canada, real estate, there's a supposed housing crisis. You know, our whole world, we're so smart. We're stupid. Our whole society is crumbling. We see people getting tattoos, lip rings, librettes, earrings, cheek rings. We see people starting to go more in the hippie path and commune path. We see survivalists and preppers building. We see people scared about this society we have that is crumbling with our government that's supposed to be creating a beautiful world for us is actually regressing. As a species, we humans are regressing. The ones that are trying to progress to a perfect equilibrium what humans were like like sasquatches still are are the ones that are starting to go back to tribal ways of tattooing and lip plugs and cheek plugs and earrings that are huge and this whole psyche so we need the conclusive proof of the existence of sasquatch and the final conclusion what it is and then we as a species will go Maybe the fracking, deforestation, urban sprawl, pollution, open border, allowing all these people into, well, as that guy said, poison our countries because it's the truth. You know, they're not allowing them in by legal immigration. They're allowing them just to walk through across a river into the United States and then pour across the border into Canada. We are, as a society, spiraling out of control and once we have the conclusive proof through habituation hopefully and we have that diane fossey jane goodall moment in sasquatch on the cover of national geographic and a sasquatch investigators sitting there with kimmel and all the other night show and day show hosts we as a species will finally go whoo that was close it's a good thing we found out about the third indigenous tribe of the united states and the fourth one of canada or north america's confirmed great ape because it isn't human it's on the ape branch after all it was gigantopithecus who knew 
Even yeah. John Bindernagel and Tom Seawood walked away from the gigantic Blackie ranch. That will give us what we need, harmony and balance. Before I end, I have a Facebook group as well, Sasquatch Island, definitely, and the website. Go check them out. But Pacific Balance Marine Management. I'm the president in Canada, British Columbia, of this organization. I sit on the National Canadian Seal and Seal Harvesters Association of the Three Coasts. And I work with the people in Washington State and Alaska, a few of them, to get the redevelopment of a seal and sea lion and sea otter harvest, like the Indians did since the dawn of creation, and like we did up until Greenpeace and uh, and the Marine Mammal Protection Act was put in place to protect the three species, which did a great job in 1972-74, where now we have an out of balance, too many seals and sea lions and sea otters decimating our marine resources. That's why I'm helping to bring the marine resources and whole environment into balance and harmony again, like the Indians were put on this earth to do. And that's why I'm such a strong advocate for Sasquatch, because there are a last vestige for we as a bipedal species of this planet to get our shit together and quit going down this spiraling path like a lead balloon crashing to earth in flames, because that's where we're at right now. And Sasquatch is our only chance of saving us. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Seawood. Sir, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, oh, that have, was a have, historic podcast. That <laughs> one. Have you have you covered any or all of the places that people can find you, reach out to you? How do they email you if they want more information? Your website. Give all that information one more time as we wrap it up. The best thing is go to Sasquatch Island on Facebook. Ask to join. Read the rules, and I'll accept you. And sit down and scroll it learn it it's basically my book sasquatch island youtube channel to entertain you enthrall you mesmerize you and show you beautiful british columbia coast and then sasquatchisland.com that is a very informative website my art's there and the art page and the gallery page when you go to the gallery page click the picture that way you can see the bowl art piece spinning on a pedestal and me talking about it and you'll see the expeditions page where I do expeditions. And if you do want, you know, instead of coming out here, you want me to come to your place, I'm glad to fly. Fly me out there and I'll go teach you how to investigate a Sasquatch and hopefully get your close encounter of the hairy kind. And then don't forget, just Google my name, Tom Seawood, Sasquatch Island, Aboriginal Adventures Canada on Google. And you'll see all kinds of things pop up. You even see my court case documents and everything that'll entertain the hell out of you <laughs> tom it's been an absolute pleasure as i said at the beginning of this you were on a uh, a short list of of people that i absolutely wanted to get a chance to talk to and sir you did not disappoint so thank you so much thank for taking much. the time thanks for having me on i appreciate you that was a good one and you definitely yeah. got me into different areas <laughs> <laughs> Um, I got a feeling this is not going to be the last time we hear from you. I think, I think we have more to talk about. So, oh yeah, definitely. But for tonight, good night, sir. Good night. See y'all. Lock and slut. Go in peace. <laughs>